Not only is there no paper trail, no one contemporaneously ever said they saw him. I mean, no one, imagine, no one ever had a beer with him down at the Mermaid Pub and said, oh, he was talking, I met Bill the other night, he was talking about Hamlet, you know, his new play, or Macbeth, or Midsummer Night's Dream, or whatever. No one ever wrote about knowing him. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America Show, episode two, and our episode a day. Three, three. Two. Episode two in our episode of day, week-long uh, sixth anniversary celebration. We release an episode every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And this one's Alan Green. And this is an exciting one because Alan Green, we didn't really know a lot about him when we first bumped into him the first time. And uh, he just sort of happened upon us. We had him on the show. He absolutely blew our minds. It was like a spy novel. And he quickly has like launched up into whenever we ask people what their favorite episodes are, Alan Green consistently mentioned. The Shakespeare with Alan Green, Shakespeare with Alan Green, Shakespeare yeah. with Alan Green. This time we go, we have a video that will be uploaded to the YouTube channel. That will be or has been? Oh, I couldn't stream it. Remember, the YouTube is broken, so I, right. just, so, so I just recorded okay. it. So before this comes out, we should make sure that that I'm going to upload it tonight. Okay, because so people, like, honestly... If you have the means to do this, go watch the video because he does a presentation in there, which is fantastic. It shows the the decoding. All the decoding uh, of the cover of the sonnets. Yeah. And not only that, but I mean, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it ends up being lim li uh, linked to the pyramids and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, oh, it gets into the page numbers that are off on the the great works of Shakespeare. And I mean, it, 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 he does, he spent a lot of time decoding this and it's hard to figure out, but oh, it's, crazy. Done, it's not just coincidences. Like this number means this number, like nah, it's too it's, much. It's worth checking out the yeah. video for sure. Of course that's uh Graham. I come in on announced Dunlop over there chiming in. Oh yeah. Sorry, that's buddy. okay. We're going to let it slide this time. It's the sixth anniversary celebration week. Of course, uh, six years ago, 350, this will be episode 352, all free, all in the back catalog. Check out grammerica.ca slash support, guys, because it really helps, really uh, keeps the ship moving, keeps the boat afloat, keeps the show churning out new episodes. Again, they're all available, we all for free. We cannot do it without the listener support. There'd be no way. There'd be no way. So, uh, Utah. What do you think of Utah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Utah on our, was on good, our yeah. Great American Road yeah. Trip. Moab, we went through Moab. It's pretty crazy. The big hole in the rock there and the red rocks. Was it Lots busy when you went oh, through Moab? It was crazy coming back through on the holiday, on the Monday. Oh, it was that's lined up like crazy. We got stuck in two massive traffic jams. So how long did it take you? So like, was it in Moab or was it like there's that, well, there's that bridge with the light out, right outside Moab? It's just like that's in between fine. the no, two provincial parks. That's fine too. It was Moab was really jammed just getting through the lights there and everybody leaving on that same day. But then later on through that mountain pass before, um, before Spanish forks and all that underneath Salt Lake city, it was just all the traffic going into one lane. Like it was flowing fine. And then all of a sudden there'd be this huge jam. And all it was, was people going into one lane. Yeah. So I, like I thought there was a massive like accident or something. And so we were late getting into us. Uh, so we, cause we were going to stay in, in, uh, Provo, because it's just this cute, clean town. Like, Utah seems very clean. Clean and organized, that. kind of, you know? And then uh, we ended up staying in Oram, which is a little closer to the city. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention about Montana? 
is I did drive by a couple nuke sites. Yeah. And I did see a couple, because we were on those back roads, we did see a couple of the, like, mobile missile defense units. And I saw a whole bunch of those convoys of military vehicles going by, which was interesting, in, in Montana. Yeah, we drove by a couple of those weird nuke sites in Montana. And then I was saying that I thought they were nuke sites. And then when I talked to Brandon later that day, he confirmed that uh, that's indeed what they were. But Utah, I mean, Utah's where I shut off the directions and drove like 250 miles in the wrong direction and added Why did six you shut hours. them off? Uh, data. Yeah. I just thought I had it figured out, you know? Yeah. So I was turning them on every once in a while to double check. You know, I talked to you, and then sure enough, we still had seven hours to go. Oh, jeez. You know, it was, it was trouble. But I mean, in re- because we drove the extra two and a half or three hours towards Las Vegas that we weren't supposed to. Um, we got to come through two mountain passes on the way back. We got to go through like Devil's Canyon, Utah. And we got to go through like all the Canyon country in Utah, which was unbelievably amazing. Unbelievably amazing. And then uh, seen some arches. You must've seen some arches too. You could yep. see some arches down yep. by Moab. Yep. That stuff's all phenomenal. Yep. We were pretty close to Bryce and Zion, but we didn't have time to cut in. I'd like to Bryce, do that. Bryce Canyon, yeah. where, where the next one of the CACs might be? The next CAC, yeah, mm-hmm. is going to be at Bryce and Zion Canyon. Contact at the canyon? Contact at so the canyon. So it's going to be like contact at the castle, contact at the canyon. Contact at the cabin. And if we have to, we'll be contact at the conference because all we could find was a shitty hotel. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully it won't ever come to that. I mean, honestly, I did it well. we got a honestly, great team. I could have, I could have just watched Randall's presentations all day long. I mean, part of me just wanted to have like a place to hunker down. Like imagine being in that living room, comfy living room with everybody and just having Randall do presentations all day long. I mean, fuck, mm-hmm. that would be fantastic. And he was great traveling as well. But I mean, part of me just wants to pick his brain about all the stuff he knows. But then you don't get all the, then you don't have the time to meet everybody else. That's why I think it ended up being a nice balance between a, a conference balance, yeah. and a meetup, yeah. you know, yeah. where everyone gets time to meet each other and get to know each other. So everyone's, it's an emotional time when you have to leave. That's when you know you've had a good conference. Yeah. But Utah was A plus, man. I can't wait to get back to Utah. I'm excited that the next conference is there because I thought Utah was just a shitty desert. And some of the landscape I've seen there is some of the coolest oh, stuff yeah, I've seen. Fantastic. Amazing. Amazing. So what do you got? You got a quote for us? We'll do this one. Well, this is a bit heavy. It could be a bit heavy. I hope Alan doesn't take offense to this, but see who, who uh, see if you can guess this quote. This is from uh, the octopus of global control. Charlie Robinson. Depopulation should be the highest priority of foreign policy towards the third world because the U.S. economy will require large and increasing amounts of minerals from abroad, especially from less developed countries. Possible reptilian? Kissinger? Yeah. Good one. Did you see that? Did you look? No. It says Henry Kissinger, possible reptilian. That's it. Nice. (laughs) To be honest, I missed the first half of the quote, and I just guessed. Good job, buddy. Okay, how about this one? The interpretation of quantum mechanics has remained a source of conflict from its inception. For many thoughtful physicists, it has remained a kind of skeleton in the closet. 
Michio Kaku. That's from J.M. Jock. Son of a bitch. Oh, well, one for two. That's not too bad. That's pretty good. Well, I suppose we won't go much longer than that here in episode two of our week-long sixth anniversary celebration of the show. Again, this is episode 352, all for free in the back catalog. If you just found the show, check out the back catalog, america.ca slash support, if you want to jump on the support team and help us keep rolling. Uh, yeah, we started talking about next year's CAC. That's going to be a thing. We might do more than one next year. We'll see what happens, but we're definitely in talks with David Matheson right now for an event in Utah in late April. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Why Uh, can't we do summer where it's a little warmer in the desert? uh, Because then you have to stay up till midnight for the sun to get (laughs) up. Did you see how fucking late people were staying up at at this contest? No, because I was... Some people didn't even go to sleep. The latest I stayed up was like 1230. Yeah. One night. Yeah. Um, I think I made it to two one night. Did you? Yeah. C-setting there was conversations where I couldn't even fucking peel myself away from the table. Yeah. Like, talking to friends like Brian about neuroscience and stuff like that and consciousness, and then other people telling their stories about precognit- precognitive dreams, about their friends falling in the fire. Like, it, 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 you know, it's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. It's like, I felt like I, was in a, it was in the, like I was in the best seven-hour podcast in person with people. I mean, it was fantastic. Absolutely. We should have recorded more for sure. We should have just bugged the place. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, episode two, three more to go in our week-long sixth anniversary celebration. Enjoy this chat with the one and only Alan Green talking more Shakespeare. by popular demand we've got the shakespeare codebreaker the ancient mystery solver the author musician alan green thanks for coming back to the show alan oh it's my pleasure been looking forward to it yeah our listeners have been requesting your presence ever since the first episode specifically they wanted to know about your trip to the pyramids and they also obviously want a little update on your uh, your last mystery that we talked about on on the last episode yeah. Uh, well, I'm open to whatever you, whatever you uh, want to, wherever you want to dive in. Yeah. Well, um, well you, you know, we it's always helpful. We talked about your background a bit, and we talked about the the other other mystery. So maybe we can kind of get into the, an update from that one. Sure. Um, it's always helpful to give uh, a bit of a (laughs) 
This is funny, you keep hearing pinging. That is the first time I'm being texted today and suddenly I'm being texted 10 times yeah. in a row. So let me just uh, turn my phone off, although I still think it's going to come through on my computer. But That's okay. Okay. That's okay. All right. Um, it's helped. Well, the first time we did it, uh, well, there was no uh, visuals. And my work is very graphic oriented. And so we, we talked a lot about, I think, we talked about the, uh, the music industry and, yeah. and working with Davy Jones and the Monkeys, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that's just conversational stuff. So it, I thought it would be helpful to give, since I'm able now to give you uh, a presentation on Zoom uh, and for people to see the graphics, I'd like to give you a brief recap of of the basics, quite quickly, of, of what the whole Shakespeare mystery is about, and who is doing this encoding, and and where those where those codes are showing up in the works, uh, and and then I'll I'll bring you up to speed uh, with some of the more recent stuff. Um, it's all you know wide open i've been working recently with oh um have you ever had nasim harrowing on your show no but we've had jamie jan over on a couple times i think that's we'll get right. nasim on eventually and you're having a marshall lefferts is coming on isn't he yeah that's right we're working on it yeah yeah um so i know all those guys now and i i'm i'm i've been working with them and uh somewhat with Nassim because interestingly all the the mathematical codes that are coming through on the Shakespeare stuff um, there's there are definite correspondences with all the math stuff that he's doing well the, particularly the physics stuff and and related to the Great Pyramid so that's a, a real mind bender because I never expected it to go in that direction but I've been doing mathematical codes uh, on the Shakespeare stuff for, for, for several years now and all of a sudden we're realizing oh they are they're connecting to other people's work which just sort of vindicates it and says well yeah this is this is really genuine so perhaps we'll get into a bit of that so is it a um, synchro that we received this in the mail today oh well can you yeah, show yes. your video for that Darren? from who it tetrahedron came, it's just it came with a couple of handmade ceramic mugs that are listening oh geez now <laughs> you got to get the card Graham, can you talk for a minute while i track down yeah 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 no but i so i'll just stall a little bit here so i think that is a great idea that we show your presentation because last time we were pointing people to your website i think for the altar stone and the yeah. and the stuff yeah. that you had found on there but this will give us a better representation of that absolutely that'll be fun so the triangle came from uh jared carpenter at ceramics for life how nice well that's a tetrahedron that's right um yeah, a very, very special shape. <laughs> so if we get into talking about Nassim Haramin at all, if there's time for that, uh, I'll show you the work uh, that I've been doing uh, on that too. How well, I'm synchronistic. Willing, I'm willing to sit here all night. I've got a beautiful view and I've got a beautiful company and I'm uh, ready to learn. Okay. <laughs> all right, Darren. What do you want to know? 
I guess uh, let's 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 do the recap of the uh, let's do the recap with the presentation that that we can do with the Zoom now. I think that's uh, why don't we sure. start that start yeah. there? And I think with the UK posse is if anything, it's a little bigger now, so we might be able to convince. We're actually even starting to brainstorm maybe doing an event over in the UK. So maybe we'll even just go break into that fireplace ourselves. Oh, would you? That'd be great. <laughs> I got to see what the laws are for a Canadian if he gets into trouble in the United Kingdom. No problem. No problem. You have my permission. Excellent. I'll let him know. I've got my citizenship, yeah. so that might make it worse for me. They can, they can take my passport away, but I, I don't think they can do anything to you guys. <laughs> um, actually, let's just talk about, you, you, you mentioned just before we got on the air, Jason Louv. You asked had, had I got his John D. Oh, I yeah. forgot all about that. Yeah, let's tell that story. So, yeah, I was, um, I was just making small talk while we were working yeah. out some technical bugs here. And we were talking about John D. So I, I asked if he'd read Jason Lou's John D. book yet, and uh, I'll let you take it from there, Alan. Yeah. Well, Jason, um, if you're listening, where's my book? <laughs> He's got mine. I don't have. I don't have his book. It's all. It's all. It's all cool. He wants to bring it to me personally. I know. Uh, here's the deal, Jason and I. I mean, try wrapping your head around this synchronicity. Uh, I live in a pretty small apartment in in, in Hollywood area, uh, Los Feliz, East Hollywood. Jason was living next door to me, five feet away from me <laughs> for a couple of years. And, and both of us being sort of... Uh, we're not exactly reclusive, but we were just both absorbed in our own work. So we would pass each other occasionally and just nod. And finally, after about a year and a half of this, I decided to say hello to him. And I said, you know, hey, I'm Alan. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And we get talking. And I said, so what, what do you do? And he's, he's, he sort of hedges a bit. Like, oh, I, I can't, you know, you won't understand it. I mean, I'm a writer, uh, but I'm, I'm doing a book on John D. <laughs> well, and I'm saying, are you, what? I mean, I'm doing a book on John D. <laughs> what are the chances? We're probably the only two people on the planet, maybe there's a third somewhere, doing a book on John D. And we're literally five feet away from each other. And <laughs> I go into his apartment, and he's actually got models of the, of the Enochian tables and the holy table that John Dee did his angel communications on. He's built life-size accurate models of them. I've been doing all my work in, in basically doing the graphics about them. He's got no idea of the connection to Shakespeare. So I tell him, well, well, do you know that John Dee was encrypting all this, all the Shakespeare stuff? And then he's, his, he was coming at it from a different uh, perspective on areas that I didn't know about. It was really quite stunning. It was just one of those WTF moments. That's fantastic. What? Is he still, is, is John Dee still on the table as a possibility to, of, who he, uh, of being Shakespeare himself or? 
Oh no, 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 no! It's not that John P was. Wasn't uh, that? Wasn't people? Weren't people theorizing that though? Or is that mystery been no. solved? Like who Shakespeare really was? The the mystery of who Shakespeare was uh, is an old mystery, of course, four hundred years old. Uh, no one, but no, no one has ever been hypothesizing that it was D. Um, Prospero, the character in the Tempest, Shakespeare's most likely his last play. Um, everyone knows that that was based on John D. The magician Prospero, who uh, summons up the, the tempest, the storm, um, was based on John D. And that's well, well documented. And even the Stratfordians, who are the people who think the orthodox story is, is the one, is, is correct, that the man from Stratford is Shakespeare, even they uh, acknowledge that, yes, uh, Prospero in the Tempest was based on John D. Um, and other pe people who have other ideas, like myself, I mean, there's, there's a lot of clubs, as you know. There's the Marlovians, the people who think it's Marlowe. There are the Baconians, the people who think it's Bacon. The Oxfordians, the people who think it's Edward de Vere, 17th Earl of Oxford. And all of them, too, understand that definitely the Tempest, there's a lot going on in the Tempest. So that was based on D. But no, it's never been suggested or thought that John D was um, Shakespeare. Um, and that's not really in the picture. But he clearly was the person encoding everything for, for the man who was Shakespeare. So let me give you a background uh, on, on just catching up to speed on, on why I am so sure that John Dee is the person doing this. Um, so I'll share the screen and uh, start a presentation that will just recap uh, some of the, the, the early stuff and then go into more uh, current stuff. So Good I'm sharing now. Down the rabbit hole. Can you, you see everything clearly? Yeah. Yes. Got it. Okay. So this is, uh, <clears throat> this is me at the Grand Piano playing excerpts from my musical that uh, I wrote called Bard about the Shakespeare mystery. I'm in Holy Trinity Church, Stratford, on the official day of Shakespeare's birthday, the official day that is celebrated worldwide about the man from Stratford, who's we I tend to refer to as Shakespeare because that's how his name was spelt and presumably pronounced with a hard A-K. There was no E in it. So Shakespeare um, is buried here in this church. So my, I, I'm playing piano, I'm playing excerpts. I had cultivated the church for quite a long time. I'd, I'd gone there oh, probably um, six times in four years and uh, did a lot of work with them. And eventually they were granting me permission to film in there. And this was one of those events. So I'm at the piano playing excerpts from the musical. Right behind the piano here is the gravestone, which looks like this. Up above my head is the monument, which looks like this. 
And in the back there, covered in flowers, is the altar, the high altar, the Holy of Holies altar stone. And that's what it looks like close up. And I'm pointing here to the sonnet's dedication because the codes say very clearly that the sonnets are inside there. Probably many other things are inside there as well. Uh, and for those of you who have not been following this story, I won't be going into the entire story of how of, of what I was doing there, but I, I was um, doing something uh, rather naughty behind the scenes. Um, we put up a banner to hide the altar and 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 radar scanned the altar. Is that the fire, <laughs> is that the mantle that we need to get into behind yeah, you there? Yeah, yeah. Is that the what? The mantle, yeah. That's the altar where the arrow is pointing from. That's the yeah. that is the altar, yeah. Um, the the above. I'll I'll just go back one step. Yeah, There's inside the there, right? Isn't there something inside there that we could get? If I remember correctly. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that part, so I won't preempt that, but, but I, I, I radar scanned it, and there is, uh, there's definitely something in there. So now, looking at that, I'm going to show you now how these three things come together. This is the sonnet's dedication on the left, about which many, 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 many books have been written trying to decipher this uh, very cryptic, dedication that says to the only begetter of these ensuing sonnets, Mr. W.H. It has dots between every every word, and that's part of the clue. And then next is the gravestone, and then next is the monument. So I'm just going to look at only one thing in, in the sonnets. Sonnet 121. Um, scholars never ever go near this because it is absolutely incomprehensible that the poet, whoever he was, could get away with saying this. He says, no, I am that I am. And they that level at my abuses reckon up their own. I may be straight, for they themselves be beveled by their rank thoughts. My deeds must not be shown. And all these, all these phrases, level, reckon, straight, bevel, rank, they're all Freemasonic references. Um, but the I am that I am is the name of God given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so, literally, King James in 1603 or 4, um, it's imprecise, gave, uh, it's imprecise as to when he first initiated it, he put out a, a uh, a proclamation which became law that said you cannot say the name of God uh, under penalty of a huge fine at that time. Um, you can't say the name of God. You couldn't say the name Jesus Christ. You couldn't say the Holy Trinity, all kinds of things. He said you can't say them in a play, in a poem, in a May Day parade. And the reason was it was called the act of abuses. Um, and so here's Shakespeare using that word. No, I am that I am. That's the name of God given to Moses by God on Mount Sinai when he's coming down, bringing the Ten Commandments down. He says, who should I say sent me? And God says, Ehir, Asher, Ehir, which is translated, I am that I am. But it also says in the sonnet there, 
level that my abuses reckon up their own. So this law was called the act of abuses. And he's literally telling the king, he's, he's, I mean, he's saying to the king, hey, what's your own abuses, man? You can't be leveling at my abuses. You reckon up your own. It's absolutely astounding that anybody could get away with it, but let alone a commoner from the sticks. So that's a huge, huge issue there. And you have been found guilty by the elders <laughs> of the town of uttering the name of our Lord. And so as a blessed beaver, you are to be stoned to death. So, I mean, that should have happened to him. I mean, literally, that was blasphemy, uh, compounded with treason, because he's actually talking to the king, saying, you level up my abuses. So that did not happen. Did not get stoned <laughs> to death. <laughs> but the actual encoding of that phrase, I am that I am, is a very, very simple code. It was called an Atbash cipher. Here's the, the Hebrew alphabet along the top. Hebrew alphabet reads right to left, as you probably know. So starting with Aleph on the, on the right and ending with Tav, the last letter, on the left. But if you reverse them and put the alphabet against itself the other way around, so that each letter is, each is substituted. So Aleph becomes Tav. And that is the most simple cipher that was used prior to the Renaissance to indicate the name of God, because the I am that I am is, you see the Hebrew underneath here, it all starts with three Alephs, three letter A's. So if you turn those into Tavs, the last letter to encode it, it becomes Tav, 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 or Tau, 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 three T's. And it's known as the triple Tau, and it became used by royal arch masons as a symbol for the three crosses at Calvary, which were Tau crosses, not Latinized crosses, but Tau, just a, a, a single piece of wood across uh, one vertical. And so that has its meaning of, it's representing the three crosses at Calvary, but then they turned it into a symbol that looks like a TH inside this two inverted triangles, which we know as the Star of David, but really it started long before that as the Sigillum of Saturn. And so it's an esoteric symbol. And the, the TH is really three Ts joined together at the base. T there, T there, T there. So it's called triple tau, but it has this internal other meaning that is indicated by the letters looking like th and there are three latin meanings for it clavis ad thesaurum which means key to the treasure theca ubires pretiosa deponitor means place where the precious thing is concealed and templum hierosolima first temple of jerusalem solomon's temple so all these meanings are intertwined in that one symbol that is called the triple tau and it literally means the I am that I am, the name of God. Well, here's Shakespeare's gravestone that was right behind the piano where I was playing in Holy Trinity Church, Stratford. And if you look closely, you can see there's a triple tower right there in full view. It's not even encrypted. Three T's right there in the middle. 
And the THs, in fact, it forms a cross with the name Jesus across the top, a tau cross with the name Jesus. There is no name Shakespeare on the gravestone. The only name on the gravestone is Jesus. And if you look at the THs there, you find they are not separate THs. They are ligatured together. It's called a ligature in the printing world. They are hooked together so that they imitate that symbol, TH. Another clue. This is the key to the treasure, the place where the precious thing is concealed. So what about the monument above that was above my head where I was playing? There are THs in the monument. You can look at this for years and years, and people have, and no one had spotted. And then all of a sudden, I just, I, I, I don't know, but once you see it, you suddenly go, oh, yeah, yeah, look, there are THs, and all of them are the same. They're all ligatured together. They're all this secret symbol of the Freemasons, TH, ligatured together. I am that I am. No way. So you've got, they're in a particular grouping. There's four on the left and there's six on the right, but there's also a couple of other things that are ligatured. The M-E in monument and the M-E in name, they are ligatured together too. Now, that's never done. I mean, that, that's just not a, a, an authentic ligature. What is he saying? He's saying, I am that I am, me, I am that I am. And they're in a certain grouping of four and two and six. Well, four, two, six is April 26. And this is the baptism record for the man born, Guglielmus Shakespeare. April 26 says, that's the father's name, Johannes Shakespeare. So it's saying, Guglielmus, Phileas of Johannes Shakespeare, son of Johannes Shakespeare. These three crosses, it's always said, well, this is, this is the family signing their mark because the family was illiterate. Three X's, and yet it could also be intimating three crosses, the triple tau symbol. Now back to the dedication to the psalmist. Remember I said there's a dot between every word, two dot, the dot, only dot, begetter dot, of dot. The whole thing makes no sense when you read it, but what are those dots about? New sentences. Well, they're in, sorry, say again, yeah? Starting a new sentence, is that like separating each word? Not, so it's not meant to be read well, together? Well, it's deliberately separating each word, but yeah, I mean, it, but each word, not a, not a sentence, you know, it's just two. The, and they are organized in three inverted triangle shapes of six lines, two lines, and four lines. Now, this is not my discovery, this is what set me off on the whole game 15 years ago. There was a man named Dr. John Rollett who hypothesized that because there were six lines, two lines, four lines, and dots between every word, perhaps we're supposed to count the words by counting the dots. So the sixth word would be these, and then two, and then four, and then six, and then two, and then four and then six, and then two. And when you do that, it spells out these sonnets all by ever the fourth T. And he thought he was onto something because 
the leading candidate for Shakespeare at the time was Edward de Vere, who often played on his name, Vere, and liked to do anagrams. And so these sonnets all by Vere, perhaps, that's what that's saying, the fourth T. But he could not reconcile what the fourth T meant. And so it was just left to languish. And one other person put their two cents worth in, and I believe this person was right, and his name was Art Neuendorfer, and he suggested, you know, if, if, the three, if the triple tau is the three crosses on Calvary, people at the time, or at least those in the know, in the, in the Freemasonic movement, would have known, and people will argue about it, they say, well, the Freemasons weren't around at the time, but the Rosicrucians certainly were, and the Rosicrucians then sort of morphed into the Freemasons later on in 1717 but they've been around all that time and they were a secret organization. So Art suggested perhaps the fourth team and the fourth cross. And what's the fourth cross after the three at Calvary? That would be the fourth person to be crucified in Christ's name after his crucifixion. And the fourth person was St. Peter. So perhaps he's saying... There was a suggestion, let's say, 15 years ago, slightly longer, that these sonnets all by Evia, Edward de Vere, perhaps, the fourth T, meant that he was equating himself with St. Peter, that he wasn't saying, oh, I am divine, as, <laughs> as the sonnet 121 seems to suggest when he says, no, I am that I am. He's not even using the name of God. He's saying it in the first person. But anyway, this was a hypothesis put out that him, his apostle Peter being crucified upside down. Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he had denied Christ three times. And then when, he fi- when they finally caught up with him and wanted to crucify him, he was so ashamed. He said, no, I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Okay, so if that were the case, and that happened in AD 69, Neuendorfer was the person who had suggested perhaps you put this dedication into a grid. Well, when you put it into all kinds of grids, this is how you do it. You take the letters and you put them into a certain grid length and then you wrap them around and you look for a meaning vertically. And he's looking for the triple tau and he found something. He found that, yeah, there's a triple tau right there and an inverted tau cross spelling out the name de Vere. This was quite revolutionary at the time, but nobody took it any further. It sort of languished, as I say, and because Rollett said, well, I, I, I don't think we can truly understand what the false T means. Nobody took it any further. Well, I did. So I, I, at that point, everything else that follows on from here is, is, is my work. And I decided to, okay, if that's the case, perhaps one looks for... Um, that same pattern in the other pieces of the puzzle, which certainly would be the gravestone and the monument. So that's the only grid that you can put that in, a 19 grid across that, that gives you both a triple tau and an inverted cross saying the name De Vere. Here's the gravestone, and I put this into every possible grid and found that the only one you can get a triple tau out of and an inverted tau cross next to it is this. It's a 17 grid. There's the triple tau, and here's an inverted tau cross right next to it, spelling out Veers, the family name of Edward de Vere. 
interesting. So now we take the, the monument and you put that into all the grids until you find a triple tau. And the only one that gives it to you is this, where you've got a triple tau and an inverted tau cross equally balanced against it at each end, saying E. Vere, Edward Vere. So at, li- at this point, I'm thinking, well, at least we've got a consistency. You've got the sort of consistency that you would look for in a code. There are three triple tows. The triple tows are all over the monument. The triple tows are all over the gravestone. And perhaps he's saying, I am the fourth tow. The sun is all by Evir, the fourth E. And it represents the three times that St. Peter denied Christ and then was crucified upside down. So perhaps Edward Vere is equating himself with him, saying, I am not worthy, I'm not, I'm not saying I am the same as Christ, I'm just saying I am, I, I'm equating myself with Peter. I'm doing the work of bringing this truth to you, but I should be perhaps equating myself with someone who was crucified upside down. So at least that, that was the kickoff point of it. You look at then these three inverted triangles, they're all over free, the Freemasonic uh, jewelry. There's uh, a triple tower at the top, the three inverted triangles, you see. It's in their aprons that they, they, they wear when they do their various rituals, etc. And then but you look at the fact that there's this inversion going on. 624 is inverted as 426 in the gravestone and the monument. You've got four lines, two lines, six lines. So perhaps there's something going on there with that idea of mirror imaging the codes, a 624 and a 426, but we still don't know what it means. Now, in order to understand where this is going, you have to understand that the sonnets... There are 154 sonnets, and if you were to map them on a calendar, this is your calendar of any year, except leap years. If you were to map them so that sonnet 1 was January 1, sonnet 32 would be February 1, and sonnet 60 would be March the 1st, and they would end here on June the 3rd. And if you wanted to then be able to reference a certain date, he runs out at that date, so he would just start again with another set of sonnets, going from one all the way to 154, and then starting again here. And with that system, he can basically then map out and make reference to any date that he wants to make reference to. You could find the dates that are significant in his life, like the dates when the queen died and the queen was buried and the new king came on the throne and Edward de Vere's own children. And and you find then that when you map them against one another this way, the sonnets that reference those dates that have significance for him are suddenly seen in an entirely new light and you can see oh yeah that's what he's talking about now i'm only going to take you through one here because too many to go through but this one here's the sonnets it goes from and these are the original this is the original printing in 1609 goes from sonnet 114 to 115 to 119 to 117 so obviously that should be 116 but it's been turned around 
Now, what is that about? If that is really, that's 116, but it's wrong, he says at the end of that sonnet, if this be error and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. He's telling you it's not a mistake. This is a deliberate error. And so what does that reference? Sonnet 116 references this date. April 26, 426, remember? April 26, and the baptism certificate, the day that Shakespeare was baptized. So this is telling you that is wrong. It's been fixed. And in fact, the sonnet itself uses this expression. Oh no, it is an ever fixed mark fixed. If this be error, he's telling you it's not an error. It, this date has been fixed. The actual date 426 has been made to be 426 in order to, for the codes to work. Now, in my first book, Decoding Shakespeare, <clears throat> at the end of it, I, I show very, very convincing proof that that baptism registry has in fact uh, been fixed specifically to accommodate that because there are 50 years of entries all in the same hand <laughs> by the vicar who was the vicar at Holy Trinity in the year 1600 and 1601. But he's gone back all the way, 50 years, to rewrite everything. And in fact, the original baptism registry is gone. We know that. And this is a copy but it's all written in one hand. He couldn't possibly have done all those entries himself, therefore he put them in himself. And by the time when he gets to 426, that's the date he puts in for Shakespeare being baptized. Now, why would you do that? If it's fixed, remember this, the 426 in the monument. What if it's read Hebraic fashion, right to left, just like that code I showed you that, that is the initiatory impetus for starting the Abash cipher that gives you the triple tau, turning an aleph into a top. If it's backwards, if it's right to left, the way the, the Hebrew alphabet goes, that's 624. 624 is June 24th. And June 24th is, in this sonnet's calendar, sonnet 21. And sonnet 21 also uses the word fixed. Now, if that were, if he uses the word fixed all over the place, that would not mean anything, but he only uses the word fixed in three sonnets, and the other one is significant too, but I don't have, I'm not going to go into that one for you because that's too long a story. So what's 624 about, June 24th? Why would that be significant? In the 16th century, Pagan calendar celebrated the summer solstice on 624. Today we do it on 621 and 622. But remember back then, the calendar was all out of whack. We were changing over from the Julian to the Gregorian uh, because time was slipping out of joint. In fact, Shakespeare says that in, in Hamlet, time is out of joint. And all the farming was going off and so they had to fix that so but in those days 624 was the biggest celebration they had besides christmas it was midsummer's day interesting he writes something about that doesn't he there's a play called midsummer night's dream 
It's also the cusp of passing over from Gemini into Cancer, which has the symbol 6-9. Remember, the 6 and the 9 were, were turned around in Sonnet 116, which was written as 119. And that is the 69 symbol, is the literally, that's the point, it's the Royal Archmason's symbol for the keystone. What it means is the sun at its highest point in the equinoctial cycle, the Royal Arch. At that point, that's the summer solstice. Okay. And it was the day, it's also, it was also the year of the, of the upside down cross. Exactly. Well spotted. Yep. And then you got, it's also the feast of St. John the Baptist, who's the patron saint of, anybody know? Dot, dot, dot. Ah. Freemason. I should have known. 624, John the Baptist, patron saint of Freemasons. But it's also the night Edward de Vere, get this. Dies. Got laid. Died. How did he manage that? If, <laughs> well done, Darren, or Graham, or whoever was that shouted it out. <laughs> I mean, it's, ah, oh, now you're getting somewhere, right? You're going, hold on, hold on, hold on. This cannot be, the, the 426 has been fixed. Perhaps the 624 has been fixed in order to make it balanced because the Rosicrucians love to balance the codes with mirror imagery, as you will see now. So 426 fixed 624 june 24th fixed so he didn't really die that day then is that that's what i'm saying yeah the, well the, the history records that edward devere supposedly died on 624 in a certain year and we'll get to that but no one wrote a thing about it it was a non-event he was the most famous uh nobleman in the land he was the he was the House of Lords. He was a great Lord Chamberlain. There should have been outpourings of grief. There should have been eulogies for him. There should have been all kinds of people writing about the fact that, hey, the Earl of Oxford just died. No one said a word. He disappeared, but clearly he didn't die. But it's the same on literally on the day that Shakespeare of Stratford dies. <laughs> he dies 1616 on his so-called birthday. April 23rd. No one wrote about it. No one said a word. Nothing. It was a non-event. So this 426-624 balanced mirror imagery thing, does he say anything else about that to tell us that that's what's really going on? This is the first folio, a massive book, um, the most expensive book, printed book in the world. Uh, it went on, the last one that went on uh, auction at Sotheby's fetched six and a half million dollars. One book. Paul Allen bought it, the co-founder of Microsoft. Wouldn't that be the worst book to just uh, spill your coffee on? <laughs> is that the one I spilled coffee on? Yeah, yeah, no, I hate it when that happens. I mean, it's just it's just so annoying. Just wiped out a, a whole like a million dollars worth of value. No, I'm I'm pretty careful with mine. You have one? <laughs> No, I do not. Um, so, but look at this. Wrong page. You saw the wrong sonnet number in the sonnet. Look at this. The first folio has all 36 plays in it, and it is full of wrong page numbers. 
all over the place. Here's one example, page 264, the scene in Twelfth Night. And it says at the very top of page 264, it says, no man must know. No man must know. What follows? The numbers altered. No man must know. And indeed, what follows? Page 273. The numbers altered. He's telling you right there. I mean, it's, it's right in plain sight. Well, why have the numbers been altered? And then when you get into this and spend 15 years like I have and have no life, you find out, oh, it was a code. Because <laughs> it takes that long to figure it out. But every one of the wrong numbers in the first folio is part of a code. And it's, 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 it's thrilling. It's wonderful. And then right below that scene, he says, M-O-A-I doth sway my life. M-O-A-I. It's the whole scene in Twelfth Night where this character Malvolio is being tricked by the other characters who don't like him because he's a pain in the ass, and they drop a letter in front of him and he picks up the letter and the letter is intended to make a fool of him and make him believe that the lady of the house, Olivia, who he's her servant, make him think she's in love with him. And the M he spends almost a whole page of this scene trying to work out, in fact, he's saying it's a code. He says M-O-A-I, and he tries to work out how those letters are part of a code, and he never solves it. And yet, if mirror imagery is employed, which is, as I am saying, is, you know, you see it in the 624, the 426, what is M-O-A-I? If you turn that around, you make, it makes I-A-O-M. And it turns out that I-A-O-M is the most secret password of the Freemasons. Now, I'm not a Mason, so I, I, otherwise I probably wouldn't be able to talk about it. They, they, they swear under penalty of death to not reveal this secret. But it's in one book, and one book only, that I read called Thinking and Destiny uh, by... Percival, and I, I guess he was just a grandmaster who was finally about to kick the bucket and he didn't care anymore, and he wrote this thing. And at the end of the, the, end of the whole book, about page 900, he reveals the secret of IAOM. And it's a breathing technique uh, that is uh, equivalent to a pranayama technique in, in, in Vedic philosophy or meditation. It's a way of achieving enlightenment, of bringing energy up the spine and to the third eye. And it's supposed to be breathed with a certain sound, I-A-O-M. So here's Shakespeare giving it away in the play. And yet, and a couple of lines later, he actually says, if this fall into thy hand, revolve. Meaning revolve the, the M-O-A-I to give you I-A-O-M. He literally is telling you how to solve it in that play. Most productions, since they don't know what it's about, they even cut out that whole scene because it just seems to make no sense. It's never solved in the play. It's for us to solve. Is there so, a page 462 in that book? There is none, no, because uh, it's, it's about a thousand pages, the entire book, but it, they are divided into comedies, histories, and tragedies. So... They each go up to around about 300, 350, and then they start again. But there's also all kinds of wrong numbers all over the place. But I'll show you just one more at the very, very end. Right, this is the very end of the book. It goes from page 398 to 993. Well, obviously, it should be 399, right? 
But again, he, they're telling you, no, no, mirror imagery, 993. We love this balance of opposites. 426 becomes 624. MOAI becomes IAOM. 399 becomes 993. All the codes are going to work that way. And that's what basically my first book was about, telling you about the 426 and the 624. His, this is now, here's John D, and there's the 17 grid that I put the gravestone in to find the triple tau and the inverted tau cross. But here also in that is the in perfect balanced mirror imagery, Freemasonic T-square fashion, the words ears and eyes. Here's Her Majesty Elizabeth I wearing a favorite frock covered in ears and eyes. John Dee was known as her ears and eyes. He was her spy in Europe. He was on Her Majesty's secret service. And his code number was 007. (laughs) So this was known, okay, when, what's his name? Gee, I always blank on his name. What's his name? James Bond. Um, But... The guy knew the John D story. John D was the he was Queen's leading astrologer and the leading mathematician at the time and the, the greatest cryptographer of the time. And he was also a, a spy in Europe, name, code name 007. Well, here, look how he well, I mean, this just stuns me. What a beautiful sense of humor he has, as well as everything, because there's 007 and his name in the shape of a seven. <laughs> so now we come to John D and the angels and this is uh, this is deep this is what i was in prague uh, just a couple of weeks ago researching where he lived and what he was doing there because it was the center of the alchemical world but this is called the enochian tables and it was channeled to him by angels what he called angels now you you know you've just got to suspend your disbelief if you whatever i tend to think that these are perhaps the word angels is freighted uh, too much with uh, religious connotations certainly they are higher beings he was in communion with angels that he called angels for 8 years and they channeled to him this it's called the enochian tables Remember, I started telling you about Jason and I being neighbors. Jason was doing the same work. Staggering. Look at this. There are 624 characters in the Enochian tables. <laughs> it was channeled by the angels on June 24th, 624. Now. So, uh, so I wait, wait, intuited, wait, 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 wait. okay, let's add up all. We've got these three pieces of the puzzle. We've got the sonnet's dedication and all those dots. It turns out in John Dee's uh, most famous work, the Monus Hieroglyphica, he states in the Monus Hieroglyphica that in it there be not one dot wanting, not one superfluous dot and not one dot wanting. He actually tells you in the preface to that work, which is a mathematical treatise that's hardly even understood today, that he uses dots. 
in his encoding. No one who's tried to solve the Shakespeare mystery has and, and has thought that there were codes has ever counted the dots. And I stumbled upon this simply because I didn't know any better. I, I just went in and said, oh, well, the dots must be important. And I counted the dots because why would they be there otherwise? Why are all these dots? So when you count all the letters and all the dots in the sonnet's dedication, it's 178. And you count all of the characters and all the punctuation, the dots, the commas, in the monument, it's 332. Gravestone, all the characters and the dots, 114. Can you hazard a guess what it adds up to? 624. Oh, yeah. So obviously, now, you know that, oh, come on, if you got 624 of these things, in, in, in the Sonnet's dedication, the monument inscription, the gravestone that are all covered in THs that are ligatured together telling you, oh, secret Masonic symbols. What are you going to do with those if you've got a freaking Rosetta Stone that's been channeled by angels and there's 624 squares in it and it was channeled to them by them on 624? Yeah, so, that's gonna, so that lines that up now with that with the calendar that we were making before, where we were starting. Well, it lines it up with the Enochian tables, and in a moment it will line it up with the calendar. Yeah, Darren, you're right. So you take that, literally you take all of those, all of those characters and dots, and that would be called the ciphertext, and then you put them into a blank version of the Enochian tables, which has exactly the same number of characters, and you put them in in this order, six, Two four two six two four. In other words, six lines, two lines, four lines in the sonnets, two lines, six lines, two lines in the monument, four lines in the gravestone. It just goes in in that way. Six two four two six two four, down to the last dot. But you have to know what the key is. There must be a key to solving this. If those letters that you've now put into the Enochian tables are going to be pointing to the Enochian tables. You've got to know what the key is. Well, we've already been told what the key is. It says, nothing is wanting but the key. Clavis at the Sorum is the key to the treasure. That's the double T at the very beginning that is here in the sonnets on the right-hand side. It's supposedly the name of Thomas Thorpe, the publisher, but he's just signed his name T-T. And there are five sets of those double T's, and they are pointing across at letters in the Enochian tables. And you simply isolate those letters, and it says, living page. Huh, okay. But remember in Twelfth Night, he says, if this fall into thy hand, revolve. Turn it around. So you look in the Enochian tables, make that the cipher text, and now plain text is in, in the actual sonnets, monument, gravestone. This never happens in, in, in cryptography at all, that the key is in the, the piece that is to be decrypted. There are five sets of double T's in the Archean tables, and they point back to these letters in our monument, gravestone, and sonnets. And that says, yo, stigmata. Yo is a Middle English word. It means look at, but it doesn't mean just look at it. It, mean, it has a very specific meaning. It says really, really pay attention to. That's what yo meant in the medieval times. 
really pay attention to the stigmata. Stigmata are the stigmata wounds of Christ, the five, the, the five wounds of Christ, two in the hands, two in the feet, the spear in the side. There's a living page. What can that mean? There's a document being kept alive for posterity somewhere. But where? Okay. But he says, revolve. Inconceivable that you could turn this upside down now and do the same thing again and now send it in in the order 4262426. And the TTs now in our gravestone, monument, and summits are now pointing to completely different letters in the Enochian tables. And you separate them out, and then you'd go backwards like we did before from the Enochian tables back to, <laughs> back to our plain text. Those letters. And now this is the long, this is 20 characters forming the longest anagram you can possibly see. And it, oh, I went by that very, very fast. It's, it's an anagram of a perfect sentence saying, I have hewn desiderata, period. One of the characters is a period. I have hewn desiderata. I have hewn means cut into stone. Cut, hewn, is a word we hardly use. And desiderata is Latin for my desires, what I want you to know. But it's not just that. It's when you put them together with the first part, it says living page, yo stigmata, I have hewn desiderata. It's a rhyming couplet in Shakespearean form telling you there's something been left alive, a page, a document. Look at Christ's wounds where I have cut into stone what I want you to know. Could not be any clearer. Where are the stigmata? The stigmata are in one place and one place only in the church. They are in that altar stone. It's a three-ton block of marble, and on the surface of it, all consecrated altar stones in the Catholic Church have to have five crosses on their surface. This was consecrated in 1208. They cut a hole into the rock underneath, take it out, put inside what the Catholic Church calls relics of a saint, whoever they say is a saint, and it's put into a tiny little box about the size of a, a child's shoe box. And what it will have inside is maybe a few slivers of bone of the saint and perhaps a some of the saints' writings, a scrap or two of paper, and maybe a scrap or two of their clothing. And that, that is considered by the church holy. And it's put inside a what is called a reliquary, a gold or a silver or a lead box. This is what the Catholic Church says it must be. And you put it up inside the bottom of that entire big rock. That rock <laughs> there, the, whole, the Holy of Holies altar stone, is nine foot long by three foot wide by a couple of feet deep. It weighs three tons. And they put it in there, then they put the, con the, the concrete in back in the rock that they've taken out, the small piece at the bottom. So it's not seen. It's, in, it's invisible. It's, it, it would be hidden underneath that whole casing of the altar. And on the surface are the five consecrated crosses, the stigmata wounds of Christ. And then when all of that is done, it is considered consecrated and you can have, you can celebrate the mystery of mass at that altar stone, which is its purpose. It is the holy of holies altar stone, the holiest place in the church where you celebrate mass, where you take the, the wafer and the, the body of Christ, the wine, the blood of Christ. To a Catholic, that's the most sacred spot that you can do, and it's the most sacred event that you can have, and you are communing with Christ. So to them, that's, that's it. That's the entire center of the Catholic life, and it's right there in that altar stone. And yet, the codes are saying, 
living page, your stigmata, look at those stigmata wounds. I have hewn, is it a rider? I've cut a hole in that stone. So do the five Wow. Do the five wounds, is that like because if, if you trace those out that that makes like the pentagram, doesn't it? It makes the what, Darren? Pentagram. It, it doesn't exactly because it's, if you can imagine, it's just an oblong. There's, there's one, there's two in the top. There's top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right corners. So there's one in each corner and there's one in the center. So it literally makes just a diamond shape, as it were. Oh, okay. But that's what he's telling us is there in that altar stone. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going through the entire thing here. I think those, if you want to know, see the videos of me scanning the altar and getting the results. Uh, they're on the website. But literally, that's this is basically what I did. We, we scanned it <laughs> while I was performing for the congregation. While there was a banner in front of the altar hiding it, I had them turn all the lights down in the church so... Uh, so that we had complete darkness, and I said, let me sing the last song of my musical, Sonnet 18, by candlelight. And we lit candles around the piano, and I sang that Sonnet 18. All of that is on the website. You can see me uh, doing that. And then we had a team behind the, behind the banner scanning the altar. And the, that blue that you see there is the size of the cavity that was found, instead of being a tiny, tiny little shoebox size, it is 250 times the size it's supposed to be. Huh. 250 times the size. So my effort there was finally to go, oh, I, I've got the proof. I've got scientific proof that that altar stone has been carved out. And it's got the and holy so on grail on my website, fearnottobe.org, you can go and vote. Yes, I want to know what Shakespeare left for us. Or no, I'm not interested. Let's leave it another 400 years. So <laughs> the idea is to try to get people to go on there and say, just, just vote whatever you feel. Do you think we should find out what's in there or, or no? We've got about uh, over 13,000 votes so far. It's hardly viral because I haven't really been promoting it, but I'm going to be promoting it heavily now through from now on and through in this summer. We've got a very, very big announcement coming as to what, what we're going to do to convince the church that they must open it in full view of the public. What do we think is so in that, there again? The, 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 ahead, the, the paperwork from Shakespeare is like, like his... his like there's no paperwork really from there's no paper trail from Shakespeare. So I think what he's saying is that's all the documents that, that Shakespeare left, right? There is nothing. Yeah. Greatest writer in the world never wrote a letter to anyone. There are no manuscripts. There are no plays, no poems, not a page, not a line in his own hand. Talking about the originals. Now what's in there. I can only speculate. I can tell you that the codes, are, and there are so many. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface and showing you this introduction to it. But he, he has put the codes all over the place. I will, I will show you uh, where the, the most recent ones that I've found because it's 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 a, a beautiful way of tying this whole thing together. But there, there is no paper trail. Yeah. Um, not only is there no paper trail, no one contemporaneously ever said they saw him. I mean, no one, imagine, no one ever 
had a beer with him down at the Mermaid Pub and said, oh, he was talking, uh, I met Bill the other night, he was talking about Hamlet, you know, his new play, or Macbeth, or Midsummer Night's Dream, or whatever. No one ever wrote about knowing him. No one in Stratford ever said he was the man. He himself never said he was the man, and when he died, it was a non-event. Nothing ever, nothing happened. No one came to the funeral. No one said a word. The great writer, you see, we're distanced from it by 400 years, but it only started to be big about 200 and odd years ago when they started to really decide that this should be a terrific promotional thing for Stratford. Let's make this, let's really bring this story to the fore. And at that time, it started to gain a lot of traction. But immediately after his death, and for quite some while, uh, no, no, no one was really, it, it wasn't a, a thing until people got interested in it years and years and years later. So now, um, do you have any questions? Let, let, let's, let's open it to questions if anybody has any questions, and just to take a brief breather, yeah, yeah. and then I'll yeah, tie yeah, in our sure. current work. Yeah, you've documented the 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 state of that altar enough that you can tell if somebody's uh, gone in there and removed your, your treasure. I've, yeah, I've, I've like, thoroughly documented. Well, first of all, you have to understand how it's, how it's situated. It is concreted into the floor. It's concreted into the back wall. You couldn't, you can't go in there and just take it out without having to cause a, like it uh, have to be well, shut down. It's, like it's, it's a major it, construction it, renovation type thing. So, but I mean, it's hard not yeah. to get conspiratorial that now that they know something's there, like they probably want to get it first. Yeah, I have, I have a, I have an informant there in the church who, who, who's there and who will let me know if anything untoward ever begins to start to look like it's happening. But what they'd have to do is you know, if the men in black or the MI6 or whatever you want to call them decide to come in and say, well, let's just, let's just check this out. Maybe Alan's a complete nutcase, but let's, let's see. And I, I think it's quite on the cards that they will already have done that. They will have scanned it themselves. Um, but they would have found what I found. And that is that, hey, <laughs> instead of a tiny little hole, there's this enormous cavity, 250 times the size it's supposed to be. And you can see in the in the striations of the color that it is full of something. Now, if they decided we're going to go in and then just take it out, find out what it is, um, I do have an informant who will be telling me of that. But it would have to be in the form of a, hey, there's a gas leak, you know, and we had to close the church for a couple of weeks. So it would be news anyway. We'd know if it was going on. But frankly, if that were to happen, I have... I have filmed there on four occasions. I've I've filmed that altar in absolutely every every conceivable detail. I know every crack in the in the in the concrete, in the cement, in the, how it looks. If it were if anything were done to it, we would know. And not only that, if it came to that, and I just don't think it will come to that because um, until it's an enormous story, there's just no pressure to open it. So it's not as though I can, I'm going to go in there and be able to open it unless I um, were to handcuff myself to it and uh, go on a hunger strike or something, you know. You is, that, is that your plan? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Are you giving us a little say, sneak oh, peek yeah, into your plan let, let's, there? Uh, open it. Well, what is what's a little sneak peek into your summer plan then? To, how are you going to get this thing out? Um, 
I can't say yet because it, it involves us offering the church something and, and we're going to go over there and have a, have a talk with them. Um, but I will, I will be announcing it once I'm sure. But you understand the strategy has to be so care- carefully planned because of what we're now beginning to talk about. It, it is now out there. It is now open. And there is the possibility that they will want to go in and do whatever they might want to do. But I just don't see it being something that can possibly happen whilst there's no threat to them. In other words, even if if this became the biggest story, if we got 10 million people voting online to open that altar, if Oprah showed up there next week with a mic in, in their face and said, you know, 10 million people have voted to open your altar, what are you going to do about it? They would still hum and ha. There would still have to be a, an act of parliament passed to get to, for the country to decide that we should do this because it's hard for us to grasp in America just how enormous a thing Shakespeare is for the English, but there it, it is enormous. They did a a, a whole um, uh, what do you call it? They had people vote about seven or eight years ago on what the we're most proud of in England. Is it the monarchy? Is it the British pound? Is it the parliamentary system? Is it the Beatles? You know. Yeah, yeah. then they voted their new vote to be called Bodie Shakespeare is the thing that they are most proud of. You don't come and mess, you don't mess with our bard. It's, there's a word for it in England, bardolatry. It is basically a religion. So, so go ahead. So just to, so I, would I be correct if I'm thinking that what we're getting at is like Shakespeare is not a real person. It was just all made to get this code put forward by the Freemasons. Undoubtedly, there is someone who wrote the plays. Undoubtedly, there is a writer who was the real Shakespeare. Because, I mean, and- I think it's probably, you know, all you, you They've been faking it for longer than we think. Faking what? This Everything. Week? History, yeah. news, whatever. Yeah. Well, as you've seen from these codes alone, I, I believe it's Edward de Vere because his name is all over it. Um, but um, that's, only a, that's just scratching the surface. It appears over and over and over and over and over. Now, so the question is, well, a, well, why would somebody do that and how could it be pulled off uh, with, with the help of presumably um, friends and those in the know? Um, it's not so hard to imagine that. I mean, this was 400 years ago. You know, uh, we've had, we're in a different era now, but FDR, nobody knew about his illness. John Kennedy, everybody kept quiet about his affairs. You know, I mean, it's not as though it's the hardest thing to imagine that a conspiracy of silence would surround this 400 years ago. But you have to then grasp what is the meaning? Why, Why would he do such a thing? And that in itself is possibly, to me, the most beautiful part of this. But it's... It's a long, it's a long haul, and I'd like to show you something else that will help you understand that um, first. But um, 
I don't know, are we live with anybody able to call in or has anybody written in any questions or is it just not, uh, should we just carry on with um, where I'm going with this? Well, yeah, I'd like I'm, to know about how that links to the, your, peer, your visit to the pyramids and, uh, and the stuff you were researching then. That's what our listeners want to know about as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, if, 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 um, I'm always unsure as to how you know how 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 much um, how much time you've got and and how patient people are. I don't I I I stay here all night, but I'd have to show you. Um, you've just mentioned how does it connect to the pyramids? Well, to to, to somebody who's coming into this brand new, they're going well. What? Well, where does that come from? You know. So I'd have to show you. There is a very short video on YouTube, 13 minutes called Bard Code, B-A-R-D-C-O-D-E, where you can see that on the cover of the sonnets, the actual title page of the sonnets, someone, and clearly to me it's John D. again, but of course it had to be with the cooperation of the printers as well, has embedded sacred geometry into the cover of the sonnets. So I could show you that if you, if you, if you like. I just steer clear of trying to... Oh, overload everybody with too much information, but that's where that's where what you've mentioned comes in. You know, so you, you've seen it, and, and so you know that on that cover of the sonnets, there is geometry. There is very very accurate geometry that shows a circle with six perfect right angle triangles in it. Each right angle triangle, if you measure its ratios, is telling you a mathematical constant from pi to phi, the golden ratio, to Euler's number E, to Euler minus one, to Brune's constant. The only trouble is uh, <laughs> five of them were not known in 1609 when the, when the sonnets were printed. So how, how is that even possible? And then the coup de grace of that whole thing is literally he gives us the geographic coordinates of the Great Pyramid. He's telling us to look at the pyramid. <laughs> I, I can show that if you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. we got to do that. Let's do that. We got we so got as much time as yeah because right to. last time we chatted with you you were about to go to Egypt to just to, to measure some of that yeah okay so you want to see that yeah. Yeah, yeah yes resounding yes okay um let me go here and finish this one and then open up a new because I I'll have to open up a new uh, presentation yeah. so okay. let's carry on from this because it's still attached to what we, we've just done this if you remember that's there's the first folio and I talked about there being all these wrong page numbers and he's telling us that there are wrong page numbers and that they are part of the code the numbers altered this is this is fairly recent work. Literally, this is, I've been only doing for the past uh, month. This is a Midsummer Night's Dream. Because obviously, you, you've got to get to the point of saying, okay, if this is all centered around 624, the summer solstice, the night Edward de Vere supposedly died, the mirror image of 426, April 26th, the day Shakespeare supposedly was baptized, all that mirror imagery, and he wrote a play called A Midsummer Night's Dream. He probably then is telling us something in A Midsummer Night's Dream, isn't he? He must be. If, that, if, if that's what it's about, it's about that very day when he apparently disappears. 
according to history, he died, but then no one ever, ever said a word about him. So here's Midsummer Night's Dream. It goes from page 158 to 159 to 160 to 163 to 162 to 163, beginning of Merchant of Venice, back again to 162 to 163. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay, what's going on? To 166 to 167 to 168 to 169. What, I mean, why? What is that about? There's, there's this pattern, 163, 162, 163, 162, 163, and then back on track because the ones that are missing out, you see that it's not as though he's changed anything by the time you go all the way through. It goes through in order, 161, 62, 63, 64, 65. The blue ones are what it should be, but he's, he's decided to go bump, 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 bump for some reason. Okay, so... And it's right at the middle, connecting a Midsummer Night's Dream to Merchant of Venice. So let's look at the Merchant of Venice part of it first, going forwards in this way, and then we'll go backwards to Midsummer Night's Dream, and you will see what this is all about. Here's all the pages of Merchant of Venice. And all the M's in the, at the top of the page are in, in this florid M style, an italic M, but then there are these where it changes to a non-floric style. The rest of the word, Merchant of Venice, all of that is still the same, but he changes the font on just the capital letter M. Why? Is that, is that significant? Well, yeah, it is. The dots at the end of Merchant of Venice. Yeah, it's a period at the end of the title. They're where they should be. All of those are where they should be. Ooh, but these two. are on this one, on one of the M's, he's got two dots. Down here, the dot is up above. It's like it's the top dot of a colon. It's not a period. This one, the same. It's the dot above Venice. What's going on here? Well. If you examine those pages, that is, 170 is when the Prince of Morocco arrives. And it's the most, probably the most famous scene in Merchant of Venice where the suitors of Portia are arriving to, to choose between a lead casket, a silver casket, and a gold casket. And if they pick right and her image is within it, they can marry her. And she's the most eligible bachelorette in the world, right? She's beautiful. She's rich. She's So all these guys are coming over. Prince of Morocco comes over. This is from the, the uh, Al Pacino version of the movie. Here he is choosing gold. He's disappointed. All that glistens is not gold. Often have you heard that told? Gilded tombs do worms enfold. Are you aware? Your suit is caught. 
So that's that famous saying, all the glitters is not gold. Prince of Aragon arrives on page 172, again where the M has been changed, and he chooses silver. Did I deserve no more than a fool's head? Is that my prize? So he doesn't get the lady's hand. Prince of Morocco does not. Prince of Aragon does not. And next comes Bassanio, the one we're all rooting for, because he's hot and young and she fancies him, and let's hope it all works out right. And Bassanio, it comes in. But again, you see, it's the moment that they are making their choice, gold, silver, or lead. Remember what I told you about the altar? The altar stone has to have within it a gold or a silver or a lead reliquary. That's the Catholic Church's law, wherein the relics of a saint are kept. There's a connection here. He's telling you something about the altar. And Bassanio chooses. So may the outward shows be least themselves. And we still to see with ornament. chooses the lead? He chooses lead. All the glitters is not gold. Outward show, no, it's not that. Silver, no. He chooses lead. And that wins her hand. But why have we got these two dots after Merchant of Venice? Who works in dots? <laughs> John D. Everything he does is about the dots. He tells us so. I'm giving you codes in those dots. And so there's two there. And the way he uses colons in, the, in many, 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 many others of the codes is to signal that they really take up two, two places um, in, in, in when he's putting them into the grids to make them be significant so that they will line up correctly. So the 174 is literally pointing us from 174 when Bassanio is choosing to 175. Now, let's look at Morocco, the Prince of Morocco. And this gets a little deep, and there's a bit of math in this, but this is where we need to go. 
This is how he spells the Prince of Morocco's name, with a theta, not an O. There's an O here and an O here, but that last letter is a Greek letter, theta, and theta is used exclusively in geometry to signify the angle of a triangle. And so why would you, I mean, it's, it's nuts. How, why would you go and do that specifically to say, oh, I, I'm telling you something mathematical here and I'm, you're going to not miss it because I've changed the M's to, to draw your attention and now I'm going to show you what I'm doing here. That's the, that's the first, the end of page 170 down at the bottom. It says, how shall I know if I do choose the right? He doesn't say, how shall I know if I do choose right? He says, how shall I know if I do choose the right? That's a Masonic and a, and a, a Mason's um, way of saying the right triangle, a right-angled triangle. He's talking mathematics. He's talking, he's giving you a hint about where, the, where to look for significance in the mathematics. Here's the, very, the top of the very next page. 170. Is it 172? I can't see because of the <laughs> my thing is in the way. And I'm only just doing the book. It's 170. Uh, yeah, it is 171. Straight after. So he says again, "How shall I know if I do choose the right?" It's a mistake because the catchword at the bottom of the page, and this is how printers alerted themselves to how pages should be paginated. It says poor for portion, the, and that would lead you to, oh, that's the next page is poor for portion, the. But he's made it deliberately look like a complete mistake. It's the line has been put in twice, and it's never to be said twice. If it was, then that the, the catchword would be how. Right, right. So... Why, why has he done this? The, the right, the right angle triangle. There's Morocco spelled with a theta instead of an O. Here's that Morocco spelled with a theta instead of an O. And why does, there he, put, are, why does he put the second sentence without a question mark as well? I'm sorry, what, Darren? Why does he put the second sentence without a question mark as well? Yeah. <laughs> you guys are good <laughs> to be honest it's to do with the number of characters but again i if we go into that uh i'll get sidetracked and this will take but it's a good question uh, to be, really honestly i haven't solved that i just know it's part of it's part of why you, you're supposed to look at it for sure and I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's just to say you must look at it or it's to do with the numbers. The number of characters in that line is 33, which is the, the significant number of, right, the 33rd degree level of, of Freemasonry is the highest level you can achieve. So it's 33 characters then followed by a question mark and then, then 33 characters without the question mark. It could be just to show you that it's there on purpose because if it was there it, as a mistake, he would have had a it question just, mark. Yeah. If it was a mistake, yeah. it would have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't have anything definitive on that, but I'm literally I'm saying I'm only I've only been working on this this last month, and so maybe we'll figure out why. But right now, 
I think you're probably right in just saying, you know, it's just to draw attention to it. If, if not seeing the line twice doesn't draw attention to it. But what the, actually to say the right instead of, it, it should be, how shall I know if I do choose right? But the right is telling you, no, we're dealing with mathematics here. We're dealing with right angle triangles. So literally on the left there, the number of lines between Morocco and the how shall I know is 10 lines. On the right, from the Morocco to the how shall I know is 14 lines. Okay. I, I mean, I've been on this so many years now that I just know how John D works and I, I just go there and I go, okay, I know what he's doing with this because he does, he does this all the time. He counts lines, he counts words, he counts characters. Here's your three, four, five triangle, the most sacred icon of the Freemasons from without which Pythagorean theory, right? Three, four, five, three squared plus four squared equals five squared. Without that, we can't do any engineering. We can't build the pyramid. We can't build the great Gothic cathedrals and we can't fly to Mars. It's, that's the absolute basis of all physics and engineering. And it's their symbol. It's literally all over the place. So if you look at Freemasonry, there's a three, four, five triangle. But he's, he's drawing your attention to it over and over with, with a theta you know, the, only, the, the letter that is used to designate an angle. Now, if for those of you who get, you know, eyes glazed over with math, sine theta just means literally one side of the triangle over another. So in this case, the sine of the angle theta is three over five. And the cosine of the angle theta is four over five. And if you then add the sine and cosine together, they equal three over five plus four over five, which equals seven over five. But notice, he's got the 14 lines up on top of the next page. He's got the 10 down below. 14 over 10 is the same exact thing, just doubled. Mm. I mean, he's, got, he's telling you there's something significant in this. And 10 into 14 is 1.4. Now, from the sonnets, which I have not shown you yet, but uh, that's the, the whole deal, we end up with that. That's by connecting the dots on the sonnets cover, you get this perfect circle and these right angles, triangles. And that one gives you pi and this one gives you Euler's number E and this one gives you the golden ratio phi. And when you look deeper into it than I've ever shown on my YouTube channels yet, you realize he's telling us something enormously significant. I couldn't believe it when I found this. I thought, this is crazy. The, 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 the world must know this. He's telling us that, well, besides this, he's adding foot cubic meter, uh, is in the, in the lines of the lengths of these lines, and these other ones. Uh, Euler-Mascheroni constant and root three and Bruns constant and phi minus one and the Tribonacci constant and others as well. But the, what the important thing is that e times phi over pi equals one point four, or to be precise, zero 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 one. Now, is that significant? Well, look what we had here. He's showing us sine theta plus cos theta equals one point four. The ten over fourteen lines. They're the same thing. That means that sine theta plus cos theta of a three, four, five triangle equals that. And if you then invert that, it means that if you were to multiply that pi over e times phi times the sine theta plus cos theta of a three, four, five triangle, it would equal one. 
I went looking for this everywhere, everywhere. I bought every book I could on, on the golden ratio, on Euler's number, on pi, on Pythagorean theory, on three, four, five triangles. You would think that would be the most beautiful thing and it would be on the front cover of any math book. It would get kids interested because what it means there's a connection between the major constants, pi, phi, and e, and a three, four, five triangle. And the world doesn't know it. It's nowhere. You can't find it anywhere. The fact that it equals unity is staggering. And here's John Dee, through Shakespeare, telling us that. Now, I then went further into the Great Pyramid, because he's telling us to look at the pyramid, and I found the same connection there with the foot and the cubit and the meter that tells you exactly the same thing, that phi, there's the angle theta, there's the sine theta, cos theta, same thing, four over five, three over five, it gives you this, this equation. And it goes 0.99999, and then on to infinity. It is, I mean, that should be a staggering thing. It's like an E equals MC squared thing. It's just, what? Why doesn't the world know that? And how come it took Shakespeare to tell us? It's, it's telling us there's a unity that we have missed somewhere in these constants. And he's shown it to us on the cover of the sonnets, and he's showing it to us in, in, the, in the freaking Merchant of Venice for, for some reason or other. Now, what I deduced from that was, if why could you not make this absolutely perfect? I realized there must be, it's 0.99999, but it's not one. It's damn close, and so that's very, very significant. But perhaps there's something in the Great Pyramid that equals 0.00001, and that would mean that if you add it to this equation, you will have found a perfect connection between the mathematical constants, the three, four, five triangle, and the Great Pyramid, and it is unity. And I have found what it is, and it's to do with the precession of the equinox, and it's embedded in the Great Pyramid. But again, it's too long a story to go into where I, I want to finish this. What you're seeing here is Prince of Morocco had a double clue. How shall I know if I do choose the right? How shall I know if I do choose the right? Prince of Aragon had a double clue. Down at the bottom of his page, it said the fire seven times tried this. And at the top of the next page, it says seven times tried that judgment is. A double clue again. What does that mean? When you realize he's dealing with mathematics, perhaps he's talking about the number of the page, 172. Seven times that is 1204. 12.04 is the year that, and I'm going to have to read my notes here to just get this right because this is all brand new. It's the year that Constantinople was sacked by the Roman Crusaders. Constantinople, the event shocked the whole world for its brutal treatment of Christians by fellow Christians. The Republic of Venice figured large in the horror. Venice, this is about the merchant of Venice, right? And remember this, people assume that, that, that this is a very uncomfortable play. People have said it's anti-Semitic because of the way Shylock is, is treated. And I just could never believe that. I thought, no, no, no. I mean, come on, he's, he's a satirist. He's telling you 
right at the end how awful the Christians treated Shylock. So it's it's not really sympathetic to the Christians at all. But he's buried this in there that to give you that very year. This is the most shocking. Is this to them at that time? This would be like Abu Ghraib, only times thousands. The, the, the Crusaders literally set fire to the city of Constantinople. It was Christians wasn't punishing that the, wasn't that the other end Christians. As well? Wasn't that the end, like one of the last battles of the Crusades? Absolutely. It was the Fourth Crusade, yeah. It was basically, you, you end up with, the, the Catholic Church only just apologized for this, like in 2004. It's, it's, a huge stain, well, Catholic Church <laughs> has plenty of huge stains on its reputation, so its current ones as far out, outstrip this now. But at the time, this was the most shocking, the entire world was in connections about it. Um, and, and if you think about it, Shakespeare could not have written a condemnation of such a thing because the Catholic Church was, was the whole deal was that the Catholic Church is in charge and they're burning people at the stake. But literally, he uses this expression, the fire, seven times tried this, seven times tried that judgment is. He's making a statement that the Christians are, are absolutely the villains in this piece in Venice. They literally, they did horrible things. They raped nuns and the women of the town they burnt the town down and so he uses that the fire seven times tried this here's a picture by uh, why i've forgotten who it's by bassanio now now where this is going is is there a double clue for the bassanio search for gold silver or lead and it's the double dots isn't it so at the bottom of his page he says He's talking about balancing opposites, to give and to receive, one of two. I'm not sure if it be his or no. He's in shock that he's chosen right and he's going to win the lady, but he's still asking for her to tell him for sure that she is his. And she answers, and he's still talking here thrice, so there's a clue there, thrice. There are three dots. There's the two dots leading into the one dot. But then she starts talking, trebled 20 times myself, a thousand times more fair, 10 times, 10,000 times more rich. In your accounts, exceed accounts, the full sum of me, sum of nothing, which to term engrossed. All these math, she's talking mathematics, mathematics over and over and over again. He's saying, look at the mathematics of this. Well, what can that possibly be? There are two other M's with, with wrong periods in them. These ones, where the periods are up on top. The one with the two periods, that's the only time it ever happens in the entire book, in 907 pages of the first folio, the only place where you get two dots together like that. And then there's only a couple of others where you get them shifted up like this. He's telling us something, and it's obviously got to do with the numbers of the pages. So you isolate that, 181 and 184 and the 174 and the 175. What is 181 and 184? It's 365. Oh, a calendar. 
Not only is it the calendar of 365 days, it's exactly how the six months are split up. The first six months of the year, there's 181 days. The second six months of the year, there's 184. It couldn't be clearer. It's telling you the calendar. That's exactly how the year splits up. And so what's 174 and 175? 174 and 175, those days of the year are here. That's June 23rd, June 24th. Which is when is the solstice. It's mid-summer's eve. It's the solstice. Edward de Vere disappeared at midnight on the cusp of the 23rd to the 24th, June 24th. The entire thing was planned for him to be gone on June 24th, and he put on a production. Well, I'm saying, I can't imagine that he did not do this, that he put on a production of Midsummer Night's Dream and then just disappeared at the end of it. I mean, how do you do the numbers? How, how would you literally do that, the numbers, to make it work out that way and say, I'm telling you, 174, 175. The 174th day of the year is Midsummer Night's Eve, and the 175th is the day I'm going to be gone, June 24th. So now we look back to Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm almost done. This is very, very quick. Midsummer, because I haven't finished doing the presentation on this yet, but I'm so excited by it because it's just ridiculous. Here's a Midsummer Night's Dream. And it starts out, the very, very opening phrase of the entire play is the Duke of Athens, Theseus, saying to Hippolyta, his fiancée, that we're going to get married. Four happy days bring in another moon. He's saying our nuptial power draws on apace. But oh, methinks how slow this old moon wanes. She lingers my desires. He's horny. He's trying. He's he's looking forward to their 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 nuptials, and she says, four days will quickly steep themselves in nights. Four nights will quickly dream away the time, and then the moon, like to a silver bow now bent in heaven, shall behold the night of our solemnities. Now he could have just said, "Hey, honey, we're getting married in four days' time." I mean, we know that the play is Midsummer Night's Dream, so we know it's got to be set at the solstice, and we know that this Midsummer's Eve is the night they're in the forest, and Midsummer's Day, June 24th, is the next day when they all wake up from all this madness in the play. But he doesn't need to put in the, the, the phases of the moon. He doesn't need to be telling us what the moon will look like. That's what the moon will look like there. You can work it backwards. You can say, well, on the 26th, it's like a silver bow. So four days back when Hippolyta was saying, that's when the play starts. Hmm. 22nd. And so the 23rd is the next day, and we know this from the play, and they elope to the forest, and the 23rd, all the madness freaks out. That's Midsummer Night's Eve. And then the next day, it all gets solved, and that's the 24th, June 24th. So he's telling us this, and yet... He has no need to put the phases of the moon in because the only thing the phases of the moon will tell us is the year. That's going to tell us the year that he's pointing to. Now, as the play moves along, there's another reference to the moon, and this is the mechanicals who are rehearsing a play that they hope will be, be able to present at the end of the, 
of, of, of the wedding festivities. And the play they're rehearsing is <laughs> Pyramus and Thisbe, a pyramid. All right, and they're rehearsing this, and they say to themselves, but there is two hard things, that is, to bring the moonlight into a chamber, you know, Pyramus and Thisbe meet by moonlight. So Snug asks, doth the moon shine at night? We play our play. And then Bottom, he's the guy with the, with the donkey head, remember? He's, he thinks he's a donkey. Well, he's turned into a donkey by Puck. Bottom says, a calendar, a calendar. Look in the almanac. Find out moonshine. Find out moonshine. And Quince says, yes, it doth shine that night. Well, we've just been told it doesn't. Who are you going to believe? The, the Duke of Athens, the educated aristocrat who starts the entire playoff and says, the night we will be married is basically a new moon. The moon will be just a thin sliver of a bow in the, and that's when they'll have the play. And now you've got the, the, the commoners, the mechanicals saying, oh, we've got to do the play on that night. Does it shine that night? Yes, the moon's shining that night. Again, he has no need to do that. He's drawing attention to it. He's telling us, pay attention to this. Who do you believe? Well, if you remember, the mechanicals, they would be the people who, they know nothing. They don't know it. They just look up in an almanac, and the almanac is wrong, isn't it? Because the time is out of joint. And we're switching over from Julian to the Gregorian calendar, and there's 10 days shifted. But as far as the educated aristocracy is concerned, the Duke Theseus, he's going to know, yeah, yeah, there is no moon that night. It is a new moon. But why is he going to all this trouble to tell us this? So you look in the almanac. <laughs> I looked in the almanac. I have an almanac <laughs> that can take me back to that and say, what year do these moon phases line up? such that that's when the play starts and that's when it ends in the solemnities. And June 23, June 24th is the entire center of the play and what it's all about. It's going to be Shakespeare's that. birth year. Any, any advance on Shakespeare's birth year? <laughs> it's a wonderful puzzle, isn't it? Okay. Graham? Uh, his, his baptism. That would be the same as, as what Darren said, his, the Shakespeare's birth year. Yeah. <laughs> I, think they, I don't know. Okay. I was thinking 1204, going back to that, but that was a significant battle in, in the medieval history. So I'll go with that. Right. True. That's true. I checked that, and it's, that was in April. That was April twelfth. It's not 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 significant. It's not there. Okay. So anyway, twenty third, twenty four. He's telling us, oh, the cusp of precisely that. The whole idea of the whole sixty nine, the the, the 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 solstice the symbol. Thirteen thousand years ago. So it is what? <laughs> what, Darren? Was it thirteen thousand years ago? Thirteen thousand years ago. I didn't go back that far, man. I, I, I guess I could, <laughs> but I didn't on, need to. Man. Okay, so this is what it is. 1604. Huh. That's the year that Edward de Vere died. The only year 
when the June 23rd to 24th is going to be precisely what they say in A Midsummer Night's Dream is that, well, it, it repeats around, it comes around 19 years, every 19 years. So 19 years from then, both De Vere and Shakespeare and everybody's dead, right? It's not going to be 19 years from now. And 19 years prior, um, well... Well, 18.6 18. years is, probably. Yeah, exactly. nobody's known and and even edward de vere hasn't started really writing so it, he's telling you in this he's telling you that's the year that i am going to disappear huh. and he's deliberately done that in midsummer night's dream the night edward de vere died hmm. june 24th midnight midsummer night's eve and he's embedded it in, in, in something that he does not need to do. He doesn't need to tell us the phases of the moon, but he's telling us because that's the one clue that is going to enable you to find out the year. Pretty remarkable, huh? I, I missed something about how it connected to the pyramids. Besides that last verse that you, that you showed us about the... That, that phrase, yeah. but yeah, all right. At the very end of the play, the mechanicals are chosen to be the entertainment, and there are lines in the play where he's where Pyramus yeah. is dying, and he says. Oh, wherefore nature didst thou lions frame? Let me get to it. No, 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 was fairest dame. It's a, it's a very, very, I mean, it's a whole joke because the play itself that is put on within the play is supposed to be corny as hell, and they're all laughing at it. But he, in the middle of the play, he says, he's, he's the pyramid. He's, he's the pyramid. He's Pyramus, and he dies because of, and on this particular, he, he mentions moon, moon, moon in the play. And then he says, thus die I, thus, thus, thus. Now am I dead. Now am I fled. Moon, take thy flight. That's the night that he chooses to leave. Hmm. And so he's literally telling you in the play that uses the name Pyramus that that's the night that he is going to disappear. I grant you that's not totally satisfying as to it being the connection to the pyramid, but let me, uh, you did ask me to show you the, um, uh, the sonnets cover. So should I show you that now, just briefly? Yes. I like the cover of the, was this, is that the one with all the right angles and stuff all over? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, because for people that haven't seen it, it is just perhaps the most stunning. It, 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 I, I think it's the, the easiest one to get into this whole story with because codes, uh, you know, look, we're doing a two-hour show here, two and a half hours, whatever it ends up being, three hours, who knows? Most people don't have that attention span, you know. Kids today, they want it to be two minutes, three minutes. Um it's only interested people like yourselves and your audience 
we've got the attention span to get deep into something because this is this has been constructed with the most incredible care and attention to detail and they went to such incomprehensible trouble to do this it deserves our attention but of course we're in a very flighty sort of world right now no one's particularly interested and just tell me the nuts and bolts of it you know because i gotta watch the lakers and so (laughs) so but this to me is still the most the the easiest one and it's the one i get the most response from because people see this and at least they can say well that's slam dunk i mean that's just slam dunk so i'm going to share share this one because it's math and and it's just therefore you can't gainsay it it's it's going to be right so here we start with, and I, I will probably race through this. This is, this is the cover of the sonnet, never before imprinted, at London, 1609. And then you notice that we're going to, again, it's dots. It's John Dee <laughs> using dots to say, let's connect the dots. This italic T is a slope that's telling us, oh, if we connect this dot to that dot, Bingo, that T was like a T square. Is there any other dot that we might want to connect to that's drawing attention to itself? And obvious, the G dot is six or seven times the size it should be. (laughs) So you connect that G dot and you end up with a perfect right angle triangle. Now, I I should note that I'm using here the most accurate version of the sonnets in existence. There are only... Uh, 11 sonnets covers in existence. They're all held in highly uh, uh, protected <laughs> vaults. You can't even get to see them. They're never put on show. And only uh, only five of them are this particular copy because the other six are, are wrong copies. There are two versions of the cover. One, if you look at it, it gives you no geometry at all. This one, gives you the geometry, the one that says William Aspley at the bottom. I said um, I said five. I'm sorry, there's only four. There's only four in existence of those. So you and seven are the other ones. So the, it was very I mean, I believe what happened was he printed these separately and just hid them in the libraries of of the aristocracy where he knew they would eventually, they would be protected and eventually hundreds of years later they would be found and that would enable us to finally decode this because the ones that went out that were, that, that had a wrong cover that gave you no, no um, geometry at all, um, they fell into an absolute silence. There's no proof that, we even, that they even sold one copy of the silence. There's no, there's no record of it uh, even being spoken of by people for 50 or 60 years after it was put out. It should have been a bestseller if it was intended to be a bestseller, if it was intended to be Shakespeare's sonnets, but clearly it wasn't. It was, it was suppressed. They were looking for him hiding something. That is, they meaning the Cecils, the people who were ruling behind the throne and the new King James. But, and they probably burned them all. I, I mean, I can't say for sure, but they just disappeared into a vacuum. So it's one of the biggest mysteries in literature is what happened to the sonnets. Why did nobody read them? Why did nobody say anything about them? 
Anyway, so you look at this, this one line here hanging out to the right, you isolate that and you say, oh, look, there's another perfect right angle triangle. And again, I must stress, I'm using the most accurate version and I've blown it up to five to six times its original size. And the accuracy with which I'm working is all to three decimal places. It is, these are not close to right angles. They are absolutely, specifically spot on. And so, it, you know, people attack this all the time. I, I get trolls all the time saying, oh, you connect enough dots on a piece of paper, of course you get triangles. <laughs> okay. Fuck them sure. trolls. <laughs> So you connect this one, and that's another perfect right-angle triangle, and you connect this one, and that's another perfect right-angle triangle. In fact, that's a perfect three, four, five triangle. The Freemason's icon, right? Pythagorean theory. What is this really? It's if, if you can connect it all with a perfect circle going through all of those points. And that is a visual representation of one of the earliest ever um, mathematical or geometrical theorems. It's called Thales' theorem, which says that if you've got a diameter of a circle, any point on its circumference will give you a perfect right angle triangle. And he proved that, and that's his that's called Thales' theorem. But Thales was Pythagoras's mentor. He was the guy who told Pythagoras to go to Egypt to learn from the priests there, to learn the higher mathematics of the Great Pyramid and all of their, their ancient knowledge. But he's most known, Thales is, for one singular thing. He was the first person to measure the height of the Great Pyramid, and he did it using right-angled triangles. Hmm. Stuck a stick in the ground, measured it. He could measure the stick, he could measure its shadow, he could measure the 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 distance of the shadow of the pyramid, but he couldn't measure its height, but he could therefore by by doing congruent triangles, he could say, Oh, I, I now can know the ratio because I've got this stick in the sand, so I know the height. He's the first person to do that, to think of doing that. And that's Thales. So what's this doing on the cover of the sun? It's a visual representation of the first mathematical theorem that had tremendous significance and that is pointing to the pyramid. So did, you if you fill out the rest that, did you notice he was what? born on that day too? That like six was it six was it six twenty four? Sixteen oh four he died. Six twenty four the magic yeah. number? No, this is this date at the bottom is sixteen oh nine. This is the date that the No, it was the date that was, other dude was born. Well, well yeah, but what are you connecting then? Where did I the thought six twenty four was the magic number? It, it is the for a lot of things, before. but where are you seeing it in this? Uh, you'd have to go back is, yeah, a couple this is, sides. But this is the, and he died in six. He left his body. Let's say he faked his death on in sixteen oh four. The sonnets were printed in sixteen oh nine. Yeah, no, no. I, I was talking about the, uh, the Pythagor Pythagoras's mentor. So go, go back, oh, go oh, back oh, a couple. Oh, slides Darren! Right my God, you never miss a trick. Well done. I always forget to mention that. Yes, damn it. <laughs> I, I, I've done this so many times that I, I, I forget to even mention that because Thales was born circa 624. Uh, I was very excited the first time I saw that, and then I realized, well, it's circa, nobody knows for sure, but nevertheless, it's another little hint, just like St. You know, Peter getting crucified upside down in AD 69. But yeah, well done. Thank you. Okay. So... 
going further. There was there. Um, if you connect now the other two that intersect of those lines with the circle, you've got a total of six perfect right angle triangles. Don't, why would you do that except for there's only one good reason to, you must measure them. It's, it's clever, but why, you know, it doesn't mean anything unless it has a purpose. So you measure this against that and it gives you pi. You measure this against that and it gives you Euler's number, 2.718. Hmm. But that, remember, that was not known. I mean, that, Newton did not discover that until 1669, 60 years after the sonnets. It, wasn't, it didn't become common knowledge until 100 years later after that. Didn't we this still one, think the world was flat then? Say again, Darren? Didn't we still think the world was flat in 1609? Some people still think it is, Darren. <laughs> uh, you should have them on your show. No, we I shouldn't. Did. <laughs> I did. We got, we got in a fight. <laughs> have you seen that netflix show uh, the edge of the curve or whatever it's called i could not stand it i started to watch it and i thought i can't believe these people exist okay all right anyway so this is a good example though of how they're how they're referencing all these different mathematical theories in this whole this one this one thing here with the six triangles yeah yeah so here yeah, you, you measure this one the light blue one that's e minus one and E minus one is, is 1.718. Well, again, we don't even know how important that is today. We just know that E is important. And, and very, very few scientists or scholars ever point to E minus one as being significant. And yet they've made a point of putting it in here as being absolutely, I mean, it is, it's absolutely significant. This next one, this is Brune's constant. It was not discovered till. 1919. These two here are phi and phi minus one. They balance the left side is E and E minus one. The right side is phi and phi minus one. This is from the Fibonacci sequence. These give you the Tribonacci constant. That's a variation of the Fibonacci sequence that wasn't known until 1914. And yet there it is on the cover of the sonnets. These give you oil, that gives you root three, but if you invert it, it gives you the oil and the macaroni constant, 0.5772. So again, I mean, we don't need to know what all these mean. It's just that they are there and they are obviously there intentionally, significant. I mean, if the, you fact, draw a perfect, the fact that there's all that overlap in, in those same couple of points i mean we're talking about one two three four five six seven eight points and you got all those different things i mean that says some of the nature of reality yeah you're absolutely right you're absolutely right i mean i mean they might not even know when they were encoding that at the time they might have just been going for the first couple it's a good point darren and i i wrestle with this sometimes um because what it ultimately means is where, where this is leading, as you know, and I'll finish it off, but it's leading to the Great Pyramid. And he's, he's obviously telling us, look, I know this. We're putting it here to preserve it 
don't forget the Gutenberg press had only just been out about 100 years at this time, and they were finally able to do uh, copies where, where, you know, before it had, everything had to be done by hand. So finally you're at this point of, oh, never before imprinted. Yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's immortalize it. Let's make sure we print a ton of copies of these so that this knowledge will not be lost. But your point being that uh, they may not have known some of it, it's just inevitable because it springs from that unity that I pointed out earlier. Pi over phi times e times the three, four, five triangle is one. It's, it's inherently there. And I more and more believe that now because where this is going is that there are 12 constants embedded in the cover of the sonnet. And he's telling us to look at the pyramid. And when you look at the pyramid, then I, I did another couple of years work on the pyramid to find that, oh, yeah, well, those exact same 12 constants are there in the, in the pyramid. Uh, if you look up right now, pyramid and constants, you'll see, oh, yeah, pi and phi and maybe E. Someone in 2002 made a suggestion that maybe E was there. But that's it. You know, no, no, one, ha no one has gone deep enough to recognize that, no, 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 it's much more than that. So all the 12 are there in the pyramid, but I, I didn't let it go at that, and I kept at it for years. And so I've now cataloged 80, 80 constants, 80 of the most significant constants that we know today are in the absolute basic proportions of the pyramid just by making ratios of, say, a corner slope to a base, to a diagonal, to a... I mean, they're all there, including things like the Planck constant, the freaking, the absolute limit of the tininess of the microcosm. So that's kind of like the the cover of the sonnets is like a reverse engineer of the Great Pyramid in a way. It is exactly that. Yes, it is exactly that. Is a I, get it. I often say that it's like it's a two dimensional, tiny because you're looking at this on a screen now and it looks pretty big. It's only that circle is only just over three inches in diameter. On a, on, a, on a tiny little book, it's, two, it's a two-dimensional replica of the biggest three-dimensional object on the, on the planet, the Great Pyramid. It's a staggering accomplishment. And is that including, I, is, is that 80 constants including the concave nature of the pyramids, which they sort of didn't realize before? Yes. That it's actually, yeah, that's what yeah. I, I did my second uh, journey out there to measure that very specifically with some radar equipment and uh, in order to prove what I had a hypothesis about, but I couldn't prove it without measuring it. Yeah, it... it, it did, so you did prove it then? It, did, you, did it work out well? Yes, yeah. But again, you know, you're fighting... The same. It's interesting, the Shakespeare, the resistance to Shakespeare is the same as the resistance in the Egypt, Egyptological world. There's a paradigm, don't rock our boat, we make our living off of this. We've we've taught this for four hundred years. Egyptologists, we you know we 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 know what we're doing. We you know it can't be built by anybody older than say two thousand five hundred BC because then you're at Neanderthal man and then you're at uh, apes. Yeah, but so wouldn't, wouldn't it? Wouldn't um, when, right? when are they going to realize that that letting this come out and opening up to some of these deeper mysteries would increase their tourism? I mean, it would I, just make I know, it, it I know, like and that's Shakespeare the first thing the that anybody who, with any sense says. I mean, that, that, that's the first thing that people say to me about the Shakespeare thing. They say, "Don't you realize that the church will benefit once they open that altar? 
tourism will go up exponentially. They will make out like bandits. And plus, whatever is in that altar is theirs. And they can slap it on a wall and put it in a museum and charge whatever they like for it from now to eternity. And it's the same for the Egyptologists. You're absolutely right. If Zawi Hawass had, uh, had his way, you know, there'd be no, you, you know, you can't, no, 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 no research, no research, no research. Why? Why? I, I, I don't know. It's very, very hard to comprehend why this, this protectionist idea because, but I, I think ultimately it comes down to if we admit that there were higher civilizations that we presently now have lost touch with, then we have to abandon the, the, the hypothesis that we teach in schools that evolution is linear that we are the smartest now that we've ever been. And as we go back and back and back, we get dumber and dumber and dumber. And of course it cannot be true, but in order to break that paradigm, you've got, there's no way out of it because yes, we do, we do get into the dark ages. And so how could these monuments all over the world have been built to such extreme tolerances that we cannot manage now? Only one way, evolution is cyclical. The Yugas, the, the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, the Vedic scriptures say Satya Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapara Yuga, which we're in now, and Kali Yuga, you know, the, when they're burning books and burning people. We, we lose our knowledge and then we gain it again in this long, long procession of the equinox, which is a 24,000-year cycle. It's commonly cited as 25,920 years. Uh, but I have a problem with that because that's, that's, its, most, that's its measurement uh, a couple of hundred years ago, and it is, it is speeding up. And so Walter Crottenden has done a lot of work on this at the Binary Research Institute, uh, and I'm doing his, his uh, CPAC conference in October. Uh, where he invites people who are, you know, again, all, all, all us, <laughs> our crowd, <laughs> right? The Graham Hancocks and the, the Robert Shocks and, of the world. And, and, but the point is, there's only one way out of it. There's only one way. That is, every single cycle that we look at from the earth spinning itself to the earth spinning around the sun to the sun and the solar system spinning around the galaxy to the galaxy itself spinning around a larger grand center from electrons spinning around atoms. everything is everything is spinning in cycles so why would the one outlier be oh evolution it's just linear no it's it's cyclical just like everything else is but they would they're stuck in their paradigm unable to admit that because they just can't break past that. You know, I don't know. It's, it's protectionism of a weird, it's a willful myopia that I just, I, I don't understand. And I think any of us who think this deeply, uh, it's just as bad. <laughs> to well, it's, cha it's changing now. I mean, it's, it's starting to shift, I think. They, they can yeah, really it is. It. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. It is. So, but it's still... It's a battle because it's still resisted tremendously by the powers that were. All right, so let's finish this off. If you take that line directly going right through at a right angle to the hypotenuse from the 1609 dot to the end of that line, why is that line hanging out there? Just 
it's just hanging out. It could end anywhere. But no, they had it end there at that precise point where you can draw a perfect right-angled thing and you can do a tangent here at G to the other line. Oh, well, they must be important too. You must measure them. And it turns out that this one gives you root two, and this one gives you root six, and this ratio gives you root five, and, and on and on and on. And all this stuff ends up showing you that ultimately you've got the foot and the cubit and the meter there, which I have um, given presentations about at CPAC, um, to showing how that is in the, in the Great Pyramid. It's in the basic proportions of the Great Pyramid. The foot and the cubit and the meter are all intimately there. They are, they're not just... It's not just that there are connections, the actual, the actual basic proportions of the pyramid embed the values of the foot, the cubit, and the meter. Is that pre-metric system? Is it what, sorry? Is that pre-metric system? A pre-metric? Pre-metric, is yeah. Like, pre is that where they got the metric system from? Is that measurement there? Is that where it started It from? has to be, yeah. I mean, we talk about, well, it was just after the French Revolution, 1785, and let's go around the, you know, measure one quarter turn of the polar radius from the, the North Pole down to the equator. And at least that measurement is based on science. It's the only one, the French metric system. They said, well, let's make this, let's make that be 10 million meters oh, and so then the they went down and then they went the all the way down to the millimeter from there meters and so we, we just divide it into 10 minutes and we make that a meter yeah at least yeah. that is based on science whereas a foot is supposedly some guy's foot and a cubit is supposedly some guy's elbow too i mean it's silly isn't it well it's but, more it's more sacred it in a way too though sorry say it's more sacred it's more sacred in a way though too i mean the, there's some interesting sacredness to the the foot and the inch and oh. Oh, there is, yes. But what I'm saying is that we're taught that, no, they would just randomly yeah, yeah, randomly yeah, yeah, out yeah. of the atmosphere, and they can't be because they're all there in the pyramid. Anyway, so here we got those. Those are the ones that were not known back then, five years ago, and the meter was not no, five years ago, 400 years ago. And so and all of that is done with just two lines and four dots. If you, I mean, honestly, if you were to ask, well, Stephen that Hawking's like the, Is that the Pleiades? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice <laughs> i don't know i don't know if that no, would but be you nice know, or not like if, if i would stay down again sorry. i don't know if that would be nice or not well it would be interesting if those four dots was a constellation i mean that that would be interesting it would be yeah yeah that would mean it was well, a simulation for sure <laughs> come on you guys are you honestly i have to say you guys are the smartest guys i've ever done a podcast with you you all you ask the right questions and in actual fact if i was to go on for another freaking hour and a half on this i would show you that yes it is actually there is because the two dots that are next to the t and the t are not yet taken into account and when you take them into account it's giving you it's not that it's giving you a precise uh, picture of of cygnus but it's so it's so very close that it is very it's it's hard to not imagine that D didn't think, oh, that's pretty. You know, I like Cygnus. Cygnus the swan. What did they call Shakespeare? Sweet well, swan of Ava. Especially because he you used know? different sized dots too. So it's not like he just, it's not just four regular pure, pure, um, periods. <laughs> exactly. You know? So there is a question I have before I forget. So how did the lead come into all that? that was the, so was your bet that the lead is, is in the bottom of the, uh, the altar stone? 
Like yeah. it's a choice between three and it ended up being a... To make such, you know. Yeah, to make such an enormous sized hole, think it. I mean, this is, this is marble. It's one of the hardest uh, stones in, on the planet. To have cut into it, it, it had to have been treacherous work. They must have had to have been so careful because the one, one wrong whack with a hammer and the whole thing would have just collapsed. In fact, the, the, the labs that I sent the results to said to me when they answered me, I mean, I knew, I, I knew, I knew that we were going to crack it. I, 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 I've not wasted 15 years of my life for, for nothing. I knew, I knew that it was right. But the point is, well, back then it was still only seven years of my life uh, or eight or nine, I guess. And, but you think, Ah, uh, you know, I know, I know, I know, I know this is right. So I sent it to two labs to to check the results of the scans. They didn't, they were unaware of each other and they came back with the same results, identical. And of course, I didn't tell them that I'd scanned uh, the Holy of Holies altar stone in, <laughs> in a church. I just said, it's a big rock and we suspect there's a hole in it, you know. And they called me up, both of them separately saying, uh, Mr. Green, I think you, I think you're, made a terrible mistake here because you said you were looking for a tiny hole in there. Uh, and I, I, I don't think, I mean, there's something wrong with your scans because it's, it's not a tiny hole. It's basically hollow. And I, to which I went, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's basically hollow. Yeah. And they couldn't comprehend. They said, it makes no sense. We don't even know how the rock is holding together. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, the, the blue area shows up as a differing density, but it's holding together. Well, I know how it's holding together is because John D was so advanced. He was working in, in with chemicals all, all the time. He was working with how to mummify bodies. He was working on inventing, he knew how to create a vacuum. He was working on basically making a submarine. I wasn't calling it that. But, you know, he knew how to create a vacuum within that rock and fill it with something that would basically make it, um, after all, if you think about it, well, he's I mean, going to put something think about how the pyramids are made. You probably knew that shit, too. Yeah, sure. Because yeah. they probably so, would have been able to hollow out those but, blocks. So, anyway, well. to answer your question, you're saying, what, where does the lead come in? Well, because, because, of I, that, uh, because of the Prince of Morocco, right? He chose lead. So that's, that's got to be embedded somewhere in this mystery, which I think that's one of the ones they chose to put on, under the corners of the altar stone. Yeah, well, it was Bassanio that chose the lead. Morocco chose the gold. Aragon chose the silver. And he's telling us, no, both of those are wrong. So it's the lead that is right. And if you think about it, if he had to fill and, and, and plate, put a plate of protection throughout a hole that is 250 times the size it would be, he couldn't do it with gold and he couldn't do it with silver. It would be utterly astronomically impossible uh, financially. So he did it with lead. And in order to do that, he would therefore have done that and make it be absolutely impervious, hermetically sealed, in other words. Nice word, too. Hermetically sealed, so that he would then draw a vacuum. Why? To what purpose? To, to absolutely preserve whatever he's hiding in there. Absolutely preserve it so that it would still be fresh as a daisy when we go in there and open it. Because if he's going to put you know, the, the works in there, if it is the works, 
well, they would de- they would deteriorate over time, wouldn't they? They'd be gone. You wouldn't go to this much trouble unless you knew how to protect it hermetically, and that's what John Dee knew. And so that, I think that's where the lead comes in. It's just my um, that's just my speculation, but I believe that's what he's saying with, and that's why. I mean, because you, when you look at the three caskets scene and you think, "Geez, what is that about?" I mean, that's well, <laughs> gold, silver, or lead. It's the very, very structure of the of, of the whole story. Catholic altar stone. Mm. So to finish this, anyway, two lines, four dots. If you were to say honestly, I think if I was to say, or anyone was to say, in the last hundred years, ask Einstein to draw two lines and four dots. Um, in such a way that you can, just with that, you can predict 12 of the most important mathematical constants, the foot, the cubit, the meter, and the geographic coordinates of the Great Pyramid. Ask Stephen Hawking to do it. Ask Richard Feynman to do it. Ask any of the great names. of the. I, I don't think anybody could do it. What? John Dee did that. I mean, just imagine, draw two, because that's what it's based on. It's just those two lines and those four dots, and then you put all the rest of the text around it, make it look like it's just punctuation and on the cover of the sonnets. Have you shown Jason Louv this part yet? Yeah. Yeah. What did, what did he say about this actual part? Oh, well, I mean, he's totally on board with it and understands it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's stunning. Yeah, because yeah, it must be interesting yeah, it, for him studying J- John D for so long and then... And then you yeah, come, you come yeah, along and course, throw yeah. this whole thing out of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, he threw stuff at me too, and I that I. I mean, see, we're working in different areas, and uh, you can't do you can't understand necessarily everyone's work, or it's not for you to do it. Now, this is my particular piece of the puzzle, and this is what I'm committed to for the rest of my life. I'll just keep doing this until I drop. You know. It, it never seems to end. There's stuff coming in all the time. But this one, here's the, here's, here's the finish of it. Lovely. Yeah, I just love the end of this. By the letters that are left outside the circle. I mean, how clever is that? By G. In those days, by G meant by geometry, geometry or by geodesy. It meant to measure the earth. To, so the, the, the whole circle is, is a metaphor for the earth. To be. To be measuring the earth. G was the symbol the Pythagoreans used for geodesy. To measure the earth. There's an E kept outside there. Well, that's east, isn't it? In this, all these lines radiating out from this G, maybe they're lines of latitude. Well, that's east. If you draw a, a baseline oh. through the two T's and the two dots there. And here you've got another tangent that gives you another angle here that's these these two are the ones to measure. They are oriented to the north of their baseline and to the east. And the other le- the, the letters that he's left outside of N E northeast. He's telling you to be measuring the Earth by latitudes. This is east. This is northeast. And you measure them. You've got it accurate by through trigonometry. You measure those, and the angles end up being that. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
I've had people say to me, uh, oh, it wasn't that accurate, was it? He was off to the left of the pyramid. I mean, come on, geez. <laughs> they didn't even know how to do longitude in those days. Galileo was still wrestling with the problem 25 years after Shakespeare died. He didn't know how to do it, and supposedly longitude was not solved for another 150 or so years. I bet years. you Google's it, got it wrong, man. What? I bet you Google's got it wrong. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think it's that. I, I no, uh, this is very, uh, this is precise, very precise. The point is, in terms of latitude, that is 99.999% accurate. In terms of longitude, it's still 99.99% accurate. You have, to, you have to remember, this is 400 years ago, when the maps of the time are accurate as far as latitude is concerned, but longitude, ships used to have to just hug the coast, right? And if you look at maps of the time, they are off in an east-westerly direction across the Mediterranean by as much as 500 miles out. They are so off because no one could measure longitude. And yet his, in John Dee's writings, you see that he had actually solved it. He had solved longitude to a tremendously accurate degree. So he can get it to within what that is. It's just uh, 300 yards of the pyramid, which is, I mean, it's still a staggering accomplishment. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Is that the Giza Plateau yeah. on that side? I can't remember which side the Giza Plateau is on. It might just be the right center of that or something yeah it's close um well, on the to the west of the pyramid you're saying well it's all the giza plateau yeah yeah so it's um, right and it's hitting there it's right there it's hitting it that's pretty yeah. amazing so well where 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 it was showing was west of the great pyramid and north of the mid-sized pyramid Khafre. yeah i hate giving those names because that refers to the, the pharaohs who were supposedly buried there which is complete bull you know? yeah, yeah but that's what we call them. <laughs> so Darren would so rather John be called D the Great cracked, Seed Vault. John D. cracked the pyramid. Yeah. John D. what? John D. cracked the pyramid. Yeah. yeah he did. Yeah. It's, it's a staggering thing. I mean, it really, it really is. Hey, I, man, you guys are such, we should do this uh, every week. Yeah, we should do <laughs> Well, we, yeah, well, we could talk about. Well, I mean, we, you are you are really. It is such, it is such a joy, honestly, to um, to get so nothing but intelligent questions and observations. I mean, you're right on it. You're right, right on on all of it. It's it's great. Um, so well, these real life mysteries are fascinating. I mean, just going back that far too. I mean, we've we're here at an event right now, and we're going through other mysteries, and it's fascinating. I mean, it's really really interesting. Yeah. So what are you guys up to? Uh, you're in Colorado, did you say, uh, doing this thing with uh, this conference? Yeah, we're at a we're at a big uh, cabin, and we're doing tours around Colorado, and then looking at the Chaco culture, and then we're doing Randall Carlson's here with us, doing presentations on uh, all kinds of stuff, yeah, like ancient mysteries, uh, alternative history, and catastrophism. Um, yeah. Yeah, symbolism, occult symbolism. I mean, it just it fits right in with what you're doing. Like, I'm going to send. I think we're going to send him this video and see. Too many things. I mean, well, play it's, it's, it. it's amazing. Yeah, play yeah. it for the you next often, trimester. Do you often go on the road doing this. No, no, no. It's like a we're just getting started. Yeah. Just getting started. This is our first shot at it. Oh man, I hope I, I hope I uh, 
could attract an audience that would help, help draw attention to it. But whatever I could do, I'll tell people about it. You, you, yeah. I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? You could be um, getting so much more exposure by going on the road and doing uh, massive events like this. This is great. Yeah, that's good. Well, I wish good you all the best with it. Yeah, thanks. It looks like a really cool place there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's going great so far. Hey, maybe we'll do an event one day. That'd be lovely. Yeah. So, are you doing anything else besides CPAC coming up? Yeah, I'm doing. Um, oh, actually, Jamie Janova is doing his big festival, his midsummer, his midsummer solstice festival in. I'm not sure exactly where he lives, but somewhere two hours south of Denver, I think, or north of Denver. I don't know which, uh, but we were talking just the other night, and uh, so he's he's booked me to do my Midsummer Night's Eve presentation oh, there that'll, that'll on Midsummer Night's Eve. That'll be fantastic. Yeah. Third, uh, so I'm doing that in a, in a, yeah in a few weeks' time. That'll be fun. Uh, CPAC coming up. Um, I'm doing a Resonance Academy course. Uh, that's Nassim Haramin's. Um, uh, he has something called the Resonance Academy, and I, he invited me to Peru to do Machu Picchu with them on, on their last big trip. And I, I gave a presentation there along with uh, uh, a person that I've recently been working with, Robert Grant, who has uh, amazing mathematical discoveries. You should reach out to him and have him on your show. Yeah, yeah, he's on the list. Yeah, we're here with uh, some people that have traveled around with Nassim as well. So put in a good word for us. So Robert, Robert and I did two presentations that night, and 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 they were very, very, very well received. And so then um, Nassim said he wants me to put all of this work on his residence academy. So I'm doing I'm doing a proper resonance delegate course on that. Uh, probably in the first week in August it will start. And at the same time, I'll be launching a Patreon site. So, nice. you know, I, I haven't done any promotion of it uh, all this time because I was waiting to have the whole full story. I just knew that the research was going so deep that I couldn't really start promoting. And if I, you know, if you can properly promote and start really doing the, your thing out there, um, there's less time for research, and I just wanted to know it all. Now, that's a that's a huge statement. I can't ever say I will know it all about this. It just goes on and on and on. But I know enough now that I've got the entire overall picture of why he did this and what it's about. And so I'm ready now to finally start really promoting it because otherwise I'll be dead. No, that's great, started. and you did a great job on that. <laughs> You did a great job on that presentation. Very visual, very easy to follow. Very like it was. It was so much easier watching that than trying to follow along just on on audio. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the internet yeah, wasn't good enough to do it live here, but we'll get it uploaded right away, and we'll promote. We'll we'll, uh, we'll promote it as much as we can, anyway. Yeah, it's fascinating. That's great. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Really, yeah. seriously, this is a, it's such a joy and a pleasure. Uh, you you're so. Uh, yeah, you're so spot on. It's really supportive. That's I, good. It made me feel great. Yeah, great. thanks. Thanks Thank so you. much. Well, enjoy your time uh, out there at the uh, the festival and all that, and then on your presentations. Good luck with all that. <laughs> Rumor is that it's legal legal cannabis in Colorado. That's what I hear. So <laughs> it, it could be good. why Darren's slurring his words a little bit. <laughs> I got into the. I got into the edibles again. I got into the. What are they? The brownies. <laughs> 
Yeah. Goddamn brownies got me again. <laughs> they, they, they sneak up on you, eh? Sneak up on you. That'll happen, yeah. Watch out for the brownies. Other than that, you have a wonderful night, sir. All right, buddy. Thanks. To both of you, thank you okay. so much. And say hi to Adam Loyal. I, I, I wasn't sure what his position was within the whole thing, sure, but he was yeah, the we'll one do. communicating with me to set it up. So say hi to Adam. We, as well. we will. Thanks, Absolutely. guys. He's just generally amazing. All right. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. Stay cool. Bye. And that was our chat with uh, our second chat with Mr. Alan Green. What'd you think, buddy? That was a good finish. Yeah, that was yeah, fantastic. Went over a little bit with review at the beginning, and then I was hoping that... Uh, well, it'd be good to have the video of that for, for, for yeah. the YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, That'll that be good fantastic. stuff. Yeah. Our first podcast with an audience. It is hard to believe all the things he put together there with 64 and 426. It's pretty oh, crazy. Oh, it's crazy. But like I said, I think, I think the real mystery there is why all those can be laid out with, like, seven points. Yeah. That's, like, says something about the fabric of fucking reality and i think it was purposeful they were figuring they they knew all that that stuff before it's ancient knowledge coming through it to the maybe through the mystery schools or whatever but john d's tapping into that i think that's it's all purposeful tapping into it yeah angels downloading shit from angels it still doesn't change the fact that you can describe all those things with seven points yeah i know but that's why they knew all that stuff it's not just a like a, a matrix type thing Maybe it is. Maybe. But yeah, it's cool. Thanks to everybody for joining us here in person. Yeah. Big thanks to Alan for coming on the show. Big thanks to all the people who are uh, in studio live, hanging out. Uh, big thanks to all the supporters of the show. America.ca slash support. Head over there today. Become a supporter of the show. Sign up for a monthly on Stripe, Patreon, or PayPal. Any of those things would be fantastic. You do a one-time donation. Just support any way you can. It's fabulous when you do that. It makes us just feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> and it helps us uh, do wonderful things like events with Randall Carlson and other such uh, people like that maybe down the road. Anything else? Do all the, do all the stuff in the show notes. And uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.
Get your mind clear. Keep up with the Joneses. Oh, you go in. You atone for your greed. You atone for your greed with the electric messiah. Oh, but that's just, that's just your publicity stunt. of your life.